JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. And here we go. I should have stayed home and played with myself. What do you like to do? Oh, I don't know. Play chess? Screw. Well, let's play chess. The Indianapolis Colts select Anthony Richardson. Richardson going to take off and run. He's in there. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. The first career touchdown. Here's Halliburton into the front court. Mishandled it, but gets a shot. Hits it. Hits it. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. So I've heard that Bill Walton thing in the intro forever. And Indianapolis is a place where so many of his dreams came true. It's been my dream to do a show with the intro of Man in the Box. Man in the Box has been JMV's intro forever. Forever and ever and ever, which that's (laughs) sick. Uh, Ride with JMV. We are not JMV. Brendan King, James Boyd, James Adams with you around the horn. And James Wood, I don't know if you noticed on your way in or not, but it took until... Tuesday for the ripple effects of Mac McClung's dunk over Shaq to to shake the bricks of the circle because there is some serious work going on along the circle today. How are you, man? It's good to see you. I'm doing good. Obviously, an exciting weekend to wrap up here in Indianapolis. I felt like I was living downtown and did not get a lot of sleep the last few days, but finally back to being recalibrated and obviously excited for the second half of the Pacers season. Colts free agency tags, things like that, and more back to normal and no traffic down here, so that was good. Well, no traffic other than being stopped by like eight trucks. If if you that, took the circle, true. you were in bad. No, no, bad no shit. circle. I'm a veterinarian now, three okay, years in Indy, so I know I know my way around a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we're both Illinois guys. There you go. Right? You're you're Romeoville. Yep. Yeah. So oh. Illinois guys gotta stick together. So let's get right into it then, because there's a lot to still talk about from All Star Weekend. Because since you're in the studio today, you got to experience it firsthand, and there's been a lot of opinions. I know Stephen A. Smith and Kendrick Perkins and that whole crew on ESPN went back and <laughs> forth on it. Was it as bad as the national media says it was? No, it's never as bad as the national media makes it seem. This is what I think when it comes to All-Star Weekend, the Pro Bowl. I think of it through the eyes of like a 10-year-old or like an 8-year-old and how cool it must be for them to see their favorite players and athletes just kind of goofing off or doing anything really. And so when I think of it from that perspective, it doesn't make me very upset when I see guys not really trying in these events or games. Now, I will say the All-Star game itself was terrible. It was boring. It was bad, but like all those things. But the environment as far as like Indianapolis being a host city, 
um, some of the history that they were able to kind of recognize here with Reggie Miller, Oscar Robertson. Uh, I even saw like Jackie Young was here, and she's like the all-time leading scorer for boys and girls basketball in high school history here. So all these things are, I think, what made it a little bit more special and a little more fun. And I'm of the mindset that you make your own fun when you have these type of events. And so you can get mad at millionaires not wanting to try hard, but they will never do it. Like, that's just not – we're not going back to the way it used to be. So Even I don't if they the, put up money for it? No, I don't think so because – But look at how much they tried for the play-in – or not the play-in, the in-season tournament. Does that coincide for you? So I'll say this. this is, I think this is a good, like, argument, but 99% of the in-season tournament games counted except for the championship. That's true. So that's that's my only, like, I guess pushback to that is, like, it's one night. They don't really care. And all those guys on the floor are all on max deals anyway. <laughs> so, and I believe they're already getting paid. Yeah. From what I understand, I think they get paid 100 k if you're the winning team, like 50 k if you're like the okay. losing team. Well, plus the meal money's got to be pretty good. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. So, but That's more than stopping at Chick-fil-A. That's- yeah, and I guess the one thing that I did read about, and, and I wanna, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, they have so many obligations now compared to in the past. We're like yeah. just media obligations. Like these guys are not just coming in for like the game itself. They have a bunch of like junior NBA activities. Let's go talk to this school. Let's go do a court flip at this church that needs a renovation. All these different things. And then by the time they get to the game, they're exhausted if they're a superstar. And so does that give you a little bit more like maybe I understand? Or are you like, nah, you're rich. Just get it done. Well, I know a lot of them were out late, right? Because Tyrese hosted a party. The well, night yeah, before. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, so I mean, there's the <laughs> obligations of actually chipping in with the community. There's the obligations of going out and having a fun time. It right? is, but it's a break, right? It, it is a break. But I, I'm sort of in the middle, James, where my thing on it is were the 90s guys playing like it was game seven of the NBA finals? No, not in the no, All Star game. No. Hell no. No matter what they tell you. Yeah. Uh, Whoever goes on TV and was like, oh, they should try harder. It's this day and age. Because you and I are from the same generation. I mean, I understand it. Were they playing like it was Game 7 of the NBA Finals? No. But was it a better effort? Absolutely. But this is, to me, and I don't follow the NBA as close as you, but this, to me, Silver, after the game, presenting the MVP, (laughs) he he, he wasn't wasn't happy. He wasn't happy, and I don't know if I've ever seen him visibly frustrated in that setting. Now, when there have been scandals and stuff in the NBA, that's understandable. But in an event (laughs) that's supposed to be fun, and everybody's having a good time, and everybody's smiling, you can tell inside he wasn't wasn't too pleased, no? When you have a game where they were actively discussing mid-game, hey, um... Let's just break the scoring record. <laughs> that should not be a thing that they, that you even know that you can possibly do. And so that was pretty ridiculous. I will add, though, and I don't keep up with All-Star Game rules that often, to be honest with you. I'm sorry. I cover the NBA, and I, and I try to keep up with the NFL. Obviously, it's my main job. But I didn't know they took the Elam ending away. And so I think having the target score, even in these high-scoring games with like the All-Star Games, at least gave it sort of a – feel of a last two minutes in a game for me at least that's how it was in years past so I think when they took that away that was a bad decision it was good to go back to east and west that's fine mm-hmm. but keep the Elam ending for next year that way the players and the teams have more incentive to keep the game close and then it's just like you're at a pickup game at the YMCA or something you know first 21 first 15 wins and to me that's better than just having it be 
a full 48 minutes, and then you have guys who are, you know, if you're, as soon as one team goes up like 12 points, the game is over because no one's going to play any defense to get back in it. And unless these guys miss all their shots, they're not, and they're too skilled to not miss all these shots. So, um, again, I think the highlight of the weekend, personally, was just Sabrina Ionescu. And, that was awesome. And Stephen Curry going at it and, and having a chance to be in the room for that type of greatness. But the game, the dunk contest, ooh-wee. Ooh, I was like holding my nose, like, what is this? I understand why Jalen Brown was in the final. Oh. For, from a superstar perspective. Yeah, yeah. They were but, definitely swaying the scores to help him uh, win uh, it. Plus, who had, who had a worse weekend than Kenny Smith's publicist? Oh, my goodness. Ooh. Yeah. It was rough. I, I, there, there were pros and cons to the weekend, James Boyd. Yeah. I'll say this. When you have someone making those comments about Sabrina um, Inescu, who obviously came out and performed really well and would have had, I believe, tied the score that yeah. won for Damian Lillard and yeah. all the other guys. Um the feeling that I had there, Brandon, was I think the building itself reacted in a much different way than maybe Kenny reacted on TV. And I wanted to make sure people like knew that. Because in the building, when she was, you know, light up the first rack, didn't miss a shot, there weren't just women and, you know, girls screaming for her. There was everyone. Because yeah. all of us thought like, even for a little bit, like, man, she might actually beat Steph. And then he, you know, was like Thanos like. And he nah. turned into Steph. Right. And and, and what's crazy is you know, it took to the final shot, I believe, for him to beat her. It did. And so that was a great display of showmanship, of skill, and really how the game is for everyone. And then you have those disparaging comments. But then you have Steph Curry after the game saying, I mean, this is the greatest shooter ever saying, you can't discredit who's to your left and who's to your right. You can't discredit if she's a girl or if he's a boy. Like, you got to go out there and compete. And so to me, I would lean, I wish people would clip up his comments and post those more so than, you know, the other comments and, and kind of running with those. I don't get it. Negativity usually gets well, I mean, like you a, understand it. And I mean, the click is <laughs> I, I get it. Getting. Right. But I'm just like, man, like, how are you watching that? And like the first thing comes out, well, she should have did this. She was. And then this is the other thing. Yeah. Real quick. I've seen her play in person. She played the fever last season. I think she scored like 40 plus that game. She shoots from the NBA range anyway in WNBA games. Right. So it's not like she's doing something she, she's not used to doing. She's just one of the best shooters in the world who happens to be a woman. That's it. Well, and probably the next generation, if that if that type of contest continues, let's say Caitlin Clark one day participates, yeah. I mean, she's not even shooting NBA range. She's shooting from the half-court line, James. So I call it alien range. It, it's unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there were pros and cons to the weekend, which leads me to this question, which we'll eventually get to the Colts because, of course, it is the beginning of franchise tag season I did want to ask you this question. Does a weekend like this, keep in mind, Indianapolis just a couple years ago hosted the national championship mm -hmm. game, Alabama, mm -hmm. Georgia. Does this put Indianapolis in talks in your mind for another Super Bowl? I think that is the goal of the city. I know talking to people around All-Star Weekend that they probably didn't want to explicitly say that. But That's I think, pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah, I think everything you do when you have events of this magnitude – is an audition for the next big one. And obviously, we know the King of Kings is the Super Bowl. And unlike, you know, All-Star Weekend and some other things, that's a really serious event. There is no gimmicky stuff to it. Like, right. everyone's going to be locked into it because it's, I mean, legacies are built in the Super Bowl. And so I think that there was definitely an audition for it. Personally, I thought that some of the logistical things as far as just like, obviously, you can't affect weather. Everyone, Anyone out there complaining no. about weather at the NBA All-Star Weekend, if you're in the media... Hey, you got a free trip to go cover Plus someone. Plus, take the inside passageways. Stop complaining. 
My thing, we are built for that. My thing is this. Why does anyone stop outside when it is snowing to take a video of the snow that you don't like? <laughs> Go inside. Like, you're making it yeah. worse for yourself. And then secondly, again, you got a free trip to watch a, watch a bunch of guys get sweaty and put a ball through a hoop. Like, that's the perspective I have whenever I cover any type of sport. Like, I got paid to go and watch a people shoot on a LED court with a green starry, you cool. know, soda pop ball. Like, it was cool, but I'm like, why are, you, why are we complaining about this? Like, you got a free trip to go anywhere in the country. Like, of course, it's, it's maybe better if it's one, but whatever. But my thing is, I do think overall, again, Indianapolis did a fine job, but logistically, maybe the traffic direction downtown Ooh. that could have been better i do think that's one thing and maybe a couple more slow plows getting out there sooner being prepared for that because you are a cold weather city but i do understand that it was fine. it was truly impossible because it was already rush hour right for them exactly but, but again we're midwest guys you know the people coming in from florida and california and anywhere in the south texas but my thing is like Okay, the weather is better in a lot of these cities, but the traffic is still horrible. So I don't understand. Like, oh, I, if the All Star game was in LA, the, it, <laughs> so the All Star game what started at like eight forty? It started yeah. forty five minutes late. Yes. If the All Star game was in LA, they'd get there at ten forty. They missed the entire first half. <laughs> right. Nobody goes to. Do you ever watch Dodgers games? Yeah. yeah and are you a baseball guy? I'm not a big baseball guy, but it's like the Miami Heat in the NBA. Put like, on a Dodgers game in the first inning. <laughs> it looks like a single A baseball stadium. Yep. Nobody goes to those That's games. That's how it is when I uh, would go to Miami a couple of times for like Pacers games. And again, the the crowd doesn't even fill up until maybe the end of midway through the second quarter because it's Miami and you're not mm-hmm. getting there. So, I, hey, I think maybe I'm biased because I've lived here for three years. And I can tell I probably am because it annoys me. People like talk about the city and it's like, oh, it could have been much better. No more cold weather. It's basketball. And, dude, we put an airport – in the court. I mean, I mean, in, I mean yeah. in a court in the airport. <laughs> so, not an airport in the court. That would have been crazy. But airport in the court. Yes, it's a possible. court hey, ne- in the never airport. Say, never say never, honestly. I, I, I'm with you. So, I went to Butler. I went to school here. I, I know a lot of folks know that. Um, I have been working, at least here, physically where we are for the last six years. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same thing. I From 2013, I got here Andrew Luck's rookie year. And the progress made from that point whether Super Bowl, All-Star Game, National Championship. Unbelievable. They've done some great stuff. But that leads us to the next point of the day, what we teased a little bit earlier. Franchise tag season is here. And it'd be nice if Indianapolis is going to host a Super Bowl to be in contention for that Super Bowl for the Indianapolis Colts. It would be even better to have a guy named Michael Pittman still on the roster. James Boyd, does he get the franchise tag? Yes. And before everyone freaks out, Here's why I think it'll happen. Just stay with me. I think that Michael Pittman Jr. is going to come out and say, give me $100 million. Mm. And the Colts are going to be like, $100 million, four years, $25 million a year. Give me $50 million guaranteed. The Colts are going to be like, oh, no, we're not doing that because that would just be bad business to accept the first offer. They're going to come back and say, hey, we'll offer you $80 million, you know, $35 million guaranteed. So $20 million a year. And he's going to say, no, I don't want that. And then they franchise tag him, and the franchise tag is projected to be about $22 million for 2024. And so at, when they franchise tag him, I think that's when they come to the table. And if I'm the Colts, and even if I'm Pittman's agent, I would just multiply the tag, which is $22 million, by four, $88 million, give you about $40 million guaranteed. And to me, 
that's pretty even. Now, obviously, the numbers could skew a little bit. But I think that's even for both sides. Like, you're a top 12, 13 receiver. You know, you're not like in the top five. 88 million, 45 million guaranteed is a really good number for you. And then also for the franchise, because again, it would be bad business to just extremely overpay for him. You have to negotiate a little bit, but I think they tag him and they come to a long-term agreement because he means so much to the franchise and he's a wide receiver and you have Anthony Richardson. You can't let any playmakers like him just go out the door for nothing unless you franchise tag him and trade him, which would just be like my, my Twitter would burn. So let's say they, they don't, let's say they want to ruin my life, you know, just tag them and then go to the negotiation table and get it done. What leverage do the Colts have though in that situation? Other than other than Richardson, the problem is it's a Richardson coming off an injury. Now you did resign Jonathan Taylor. That's Maybe that's a little bit of leverage, but there is zero leverage. And James, I've been saying this as long as I've been on the air here. The leverage that you don't have comes from the non depth of the wide receiver room. That's fair. That's fair. And it's clear that you need Michael Pittman. I think everybody in this building and in this city is on the same page there. Yeah. Especially after he got knocked out of that Pittsburgh game. Yeah. When he got knocked out of the Pittsburgh game, okay, did Josh Downs have a solid year? Absolutely he did. And that's where the depth comes in. But could Josh Downs step into a Michael Pittman role? No. No. So you need Michael Pittman. That is true. Now, I will triple down on that because I know you all remember the Atlanta game when yeah. he wasn't available and it was terrible. I was the like, re-concussion. That's yeah, what it was. Basically, right? yeah. yeah. So we had got to Atlanta and you know I get a call and it's like, hey, this is probably going up soon and he's, you know, not gonna be playing. And I was like, oh my goodness, that just changed a lot. They were preparing to have him. And then I go back to even two years ago in twenty twenty two when he missed a game, I believe it might have been like a hip or, or a quad or That's something. Right. And they he did play in Jacksonville and they didn't even score. So, like, the thing that makes Pittman valuable, and I get everyone's like, is he a true number one receiver? He's a number one receiver for you. And he's exactly. also – What you just said. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, you can feel free to expand it because that, that no, to me, no is a, a point that we all kind of miss. Like, not every receiver is going to be Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, you know, even a Mike Evans type. Like, if, the, if you have a receiver that can get you 1,000 yards and four touchdowns pretty much every year, that's probably a number one. There's a minute number of those guys in the league. Yeah. And the amount of them that come in the league yearly is even smaller. Yeah. Uh, you, could, you could watch the NFL draft and you could have Mel Kuyper oozing over these prospects. It happens every year. It, it doesn't matter. I would argue, James, remember how good Mike Strong looked a couple years ago? Yeah. In training camp? Every training camp, he would look like every catch. Calvin Johnson. He made J.C. Horn look like a high schooler. Did it happen? Did anything happen? No, nah. no. So you could have again Kuiper ooze over these guys. To me, it doesn't mean squat until at least midseason. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I also think about even if you overpay a little bit for Pittman, it's like he's like, hey, I, I need at least ninety. You have to think about what your long-term looks like. For example, unless Pittman just wants out and he's asking for crazy money, you're like, well, we just can't like get this guy to reason. There's no reason he should not be here long-term because he is homegrown. You preach that. You preach having guys who are no-nonsense and, and, and kind of stay out of trouble. He's never been in any trouble. Right. He's a great locker room guy. Like I think sometimes people don't really realize the way Pittman plays the game He's violent, he's physical, he's mean, he's nasty. 
but he really is a very nice man. And I remember even when he had like the one sort of misstep this past season when he got mad, he didn't get the ball. The next day, or he like was two the guy later, in front of the camera, and he owned it all. And he's like, you know what? I was being a bit of a brat. I was upset. Probably didn't have the best. And, it, and then what I loved about it was he didn't do the whole, oh, you know, the media twisted my words. No, he's like, no, I said that, and what I said is what I felt, but it wasn't right in the moment. I was like, you know what? I respect this guy. And so, all that to say, his locker room presence, his availability, his leadership, him being a homegrown talent. Unless he just wants out, which to me would be shocking because the dude is, like bought a farm here. <laughs> I mean, you find a way to bring them back. And then that sends a message to not only your team, but those around the league, like, hey, we're going to take care of our guys when they produce. Because he has produced. The guy, I think he's had seven different starting quarterbacks in four years. And he's produced with all of them. And so maybe that's the one thing where I'm like, man, would he want to go somewhere where he's like, I know this is the dude. He's, a, you know, whatever quarterback that is, he's a guy and he's going to be there long term. And I can, like, hitch my wagon to his. Yeah. He came on, James Adams, he came on this show, right, and talked about duck hunting. Is that right? Uh, yes, right, he did. He was duck hunting? Yes, he was. Oh, I had an entire conversation with him about hunting uh, in yeah, the locker Yeah, he's room. a great hunter, right? And this dude is legit. Like, <laughs> I, I, I want to do a story on it. Like, I want to I spend a day with him, either a, a farming, hunting, something, because he is, he is so meticulous about these things. And honestly, it kind of lets you know how he works as a football player. Yeah, which I've always got the sense from it. I think Kevin Bowen put it right every single time he said this i've never gotten usc pretty boy no michael Pittman, right no but is he does that make him sort of a product of his environment here though because what if he got drafted by the chargers what if he got drafted by one of those big you know is he the same guy if he gets drafted by a big market team i think he is because of his dad so his dad being an nfl running back knowing the business and kind of giving him the blueprint of how to carry yourself and so I think that probably sways it more for him being a bit more humble, a bit more personable, all of those things. And so, you know, just from a personal standpoint, I love covering the guy because, you know, Pitt is never going to say anything that he doesn't, he doesn't believe. So with him, you sometimes have to read between the lines if he's frustrated or if he's upset about what, whatever happened in the game. Because he can't stand up there and say the cliches like some other players do. And I'm not like getting on those guys for it because if I was in their shoes, I'd probably do the same thing after a bad loss, whatever. But he's very real. And if you ever want to know how he feels, he will tell you. And so, um, and that goes for not only like reporters and stuff, but I think the team and they respond to that. You ask any wide receiver in the room, you ask, you know, other offensive players, even some of the defensive players, he's a guy that, you know, makes his voice heard. And I think you need that leadership in a very young team still, even now, especially with some of the pieces that could be on the move. Like, is Kenny Moore going to be back here next year? Is Julian Blackman going to be back here next year? I mean, these are guys who are great leaders as well. So, um, again, the most important one of the free agent bunch is that guy in number 11. Yeah, I guess there's being Michael Pittman real and there's being Rick Pitino real. Did you, did you hear that presser the other day? That was ridiculous, and it's oh not real. I think God. it's cowardice, honestly. Like, oh, that's well, not... no, not, not real as in this is... <laughs> you know that everybody should follow this real yeah. as in he's just a horrible person yeah I, I mean i don't i don't know him personally i can't speak to like all those things but i just know that comment is what are we doing man like that was ridiculous but I, that and, you know what and also i just always think to myself brandon like do you not see these cameras like do you not know oh, he what, sees them. like what <laughs> he era, sees them in his pinstripe what, suit and i'm just like what like what era do you think we're in? This was never okay, and it's definitely obviously not okay in today's age. So 
I wasn't with it. Um, yeah, when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow. I had to check, and this is just the state of the world we're living in. I had to check to see if it was a real account that like put it out there. Yeah. Because now I don't know. Oh, you never – well, I mean, you, you got 11 Woj accounts tweeting <laughs> Woj bombs of – there, there are cameras in the in the in the uh, locker room, and it's like, ooh. I saw somebody get uh, like Woj fooled, you know, where it's like uh, on Twitter you could have a blue check mark as long yeah. as you subscribe, and like somebody somebody retweeted a fake Woj. It was actually a media person. It wasn't a Man. was a media person here. It was a media person from another city. Nah, like, it's it's, it's it's scary out here. That's for sure. It's scary. <laughs> I, I I look and then even they're they're kind of creative with it. So for example, you know, if a reporter has a L in their name, some people will like capitalize the I and then make the fake account. So to capitalize right. the I is like an L yeah. if you just glance oh, at it. And people I'm like, got a process to it now. So yeah, that's nasty business. Don't don't fall for the Twitter scams, people. <laughs> no, no. That that is your lesson of today from myself, Brendan King, and James Boyd. In for JMV, James Adams is here as well. Coming up after the timeout, Greg Rakestraw is going to be with us to talk about literally everything. Brad Spielberger from PFF. He'll drop by at four o'clock. Then at five, some college basketball chatter. Making his fan debut, my guy Connor Onion. Big Ten Network play-by-play man. He'll stop by as well. BK with James and James. It is The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Joey, have you ever been in a in a Turkish prison? 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. JMV's out today. I'm Brendan King, James Boyd, James Adams. DriveHubler.com studio. I mentioned this earlier. I have never gotten to lead off a show with Man in the Box, Allison Chains, before. I've also never gotten to say this. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. <laughs> that felt good. <laughs> Our guy, Craig Rakestraw, taking some time. He is a busy man. Rake will be on the call this weekend for the IHSAA Girls Basketball State Finals over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. One of the games he will do is alma mater, the Lanesville Eagles, taking on Marquette Catholic. That's the Class A game. Greg will also have the call of 2A Brownstown Central against Fort Wayne Bishop Lures. Lures going for a girls' state title. They won the football state championship over at Lucas Oil Stadium last fall. Ray, great to be with you. How was your prep today over at Gamebridge? Uh, it was uh, it was uh, fun. Uh, it's still a little bit outside of my mind that I'm like you know covering relatives of mine playing for a state championship. <laughs> um, you know because in Lanesville there's a lot of us that are related to each other. Um, and having been in school just before class sports started, it was never, you know, our dream was to win a sectional. You know, we never thought about, well, we might win a state championship. My high school won four sectionals in their history before, uh, you know, the class sports era began. So now they are playing in a fifth state championship, and I have been on the call of four of those which is just, again, crazy for me. But at the same time, as excited as I am about that, I've got another game to do, and I've got to make sure I give equal treatment and love to the opposing team in Marquette Catholic. So it is a very fun week for me. It is also a very nerve-wracking call, and I just hope both teams play hard and have a good time. Yeah, I was going to make sure that you uh, show some love to Marquette Catholic up there in the 219 my former part of the state, which I used to cover. It's pretty cool, actually. I didn't know you went to Lanesville, so it is awesome that you'll uh, be on the call for that game. Obviously, I'm rooting for Marquette Catholic. I can't help it. Um, going for their third state championship in girls' basketball program history. But I ask you this, Greg, because I know that these moments mean a lot to you. 
do you ever have a moment, maybe after state championships pass, that you get to realize, okay, maybe I'm a part of history in a different way for someone else? Like this call that I made might be sure. what they remember for the rest of their lives. I, I am cognizant of the fact that I am part of the soundtrack of somebody's memories. Um, and and, and I, I don't, I'm not sure if I take myself seriously, but I take my job very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I want to make sure that I do right by both the school that wins the state championship, but also by the school that doesn't. Um, and so I, I think I'm, I'm just generally positive by nature when I'm calling a game and very rarely critical. That's especially the case in a state championship because it is an amazing accomplishment for any team to reach a state championship game, let alone win one. So that point was driven home to me. There is this great documentary uh, about Bar Reeves' 1A championship, their first one in boys, which came against Marquette Catholic. Those two schools split um, their meetings, and I think Marquette won in 14 and Bar Reeves won in 15, if I have my memory correct. And there was a documentary that was made about that, and I'm sitting there watching the premiere of it, at least in Indianapolis, and about 45 seconds in, I hear my voice, and I go, huh, okay. And it <laughs> kind, of drive that, that, it kind of drove that point home. Hey, make sure you, uh, you are uh, you know, prepped and ready to go because what you say during these broadcasts will live on in somebody's mind for the better part of 40 or 50 years. Mm. Greg Rakestraw is our guest on the Anymore Automotive Group Hotline. Rake, 26 minutes from now, shifting gears here, Teams are eligible to start franchise tag season. James and I were talking about it in the first segment. In your mind, is Michael Pittman a franchise tag player in 2024-25? Yes, he is. He is He is absolutely worth that to the Indianapolis Colts. Um, you know, I, I think there might be a debate as to whether he's a one on other teams. He's a one here. And most importantly, he has done everything that has been asked of him in four years. You know, we, we don't often refer to wide receivers as tough. He's tough, and he has shown that toughness with his durability when he's been injured with his ability to, 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 to play, uh, the way he has gotten the tough yards, the way that he really hasn't had much help at the wide receiver position uh, over the course of, of his four years here. So um, I, his catch numbers are fantastic. I wish his touchdown numbers were better. But, again, given all of the circumstances, given Chris Ballard's penchant to – um, you know, re-sign his own guys, I think in this case it very much pays off, and it's the move that I would make. Um, if there is not a long-term deal reached soon, I would assume the franchise tag is going to be used for the Colts for the first time in the Chris Ballard era. Wow, that would be something. And speaking of Chris Ballard, Greg, how much do you think this offseason is one that is pivotal for maybe a change in philosophy? Because they're better than maybe we expected them to be last year. But this year, the expectations are a playoff berth, a potential AFC South title. So do you think that there could be a change in Chris Ballard's mindset and approach to building this team to win now? Well, the great thing is, is when I make these references, James, you are often in the room, so you can nod your head in agreement (laughs) with me. Um, Obviously, you're about to talk to Chris if there's some sort of Colts news, but it's going to come around to the, you know, combine coming up in the very near future, which is the first chance we get an official conversation with Chris since kind of that post-mortem at the end of the season. And I very vividly remember him acknowledging, saying, hey, listen, and it wasn't necessarily because of the position they are in, having nine wins and being ahead of, of, of other people's schedule. You never know if that was ahead of Chris's schedule or Shane's schedule or Mr. Ursay's schedule uh, for that football team. 
But he really said, listen, he goes, we can afford to be more aggressive because we feel we've got the guy at quarterback. We've got him on a rookie deal for four more years. So it's part of the reason why I think Michael Pittman, if you don't get a long-term deal done, all right, fine, we'll franchise tag you, and we'll figure this out because the Colts have cap space. They don't often spend as much as they possibly can, but they're in this really unique sweet spot of you've got a quarterback on a rookie deal, you don't have a high-end first-round pick where your draft capital pool needs to be something extensive. You know, you can kind of spend that on your own guys and then maybe go out and get – whether it's a a cornerback to help your depth, whether it's going out and getting maybe a number two receiver uh, and and kind of having downs as your three and Pierce as your four. Um, A lot of folks kind of think that maybe the Colts address the tight end position with the first pick in the draft, so you're not going that direction. Uh, In terms of of the tight end spot, you know, you, you got a lot of sacks out of the defensive end position kind of in the aggregate. Maybe you're happy with what you got there. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is this. The Colts have never been in a better position to offer multiple guys <laughs> money for, you know, from their own team than they are right now. It's part of why I feel with pretty strong conviction that they'll do what it takes to bring Michael Pittman Jr. back to the Colts, if not on a long-term deal, then a franchise tag until they can get a long-term deal done. Greg Rakestraw is our guest. I'm Brendan King with James Boyd and for JMV. Rake, talking some college hoops, I know you were on with John. This might have been oh, two months ago by now, but you were talking about Purdue and the last few years struggling in the tournament with double-digit seeds. I thought you made a great comment of, you know, they have done what they have done consistently in the regular season, and it's sort of just a matter of show me come March. After the loss to Ohio State, are you still in that camp of everything's cool, but really I just need to see it in the month of March, getting past that hurdle that they've had the last three years? Listen, Purdue is one of the best basketball teams this year in, in college hoops. Do I think they're one of the great teams of all time? Maybe not. Do I think they can win a national championship this year? I absolutely think they can. Um, I, I understand even a group that is as experienced and talented as motivated as that Purdue team is, is going to hit a lull at some point in time. It was bound to happen. Um, I tend to think that <laughs> I think that Sunday was more of the Ohio State dead cat bounce than it was anything about about Purdue. Um, and we all know when you make a coaching change, hey, for a week or two, it's going to look great. Uh, James, remember the high of the Jeff Saturday win against the Las Vegas Raiders last year? I Didn't do. exactly go well for the team after that point in time. So um, I'm not sweating Purdue just yet. And I realize that they didn't play great against Minnesota the game before. I acknowledge that. But this team has been there and done that and accomplished everything they can until the middle of March. And so I'm not panicking too much after what I saw from Purdue on Sunday afternoon. To piggyback off that, do you think it's better to maybe have those moments now or maybe just the overall (laughs) perspective of it is what they're chasing bigger than that game? Because I keep thinking about how every loss they've had in regular season over the last few years has just been a court storming. They just can't have that happen come – you know, the second weekend, right? Or the first Correct. weekend. <laughs> if you're going to make a mistake, you've got until March 17th to make that mistake. Uh, after March 17th, you've got to play mistake-free in terms of, of just having a bad game. Of, of and, and frankly, what happened on Sunday was in large part what we were worried about last year at the end of the season when you go, hey, those freshmen are going to hit a wall. Well, Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith at one point late in the game were combined three of 17 from the floor. So it shows you just how important both those guys have been to their success over the course of the last couple of years. And for as dominant as Zach Eady has been, I still think as much of this hinges on what Braden Smith can do and to a lesser degree what Fletcher Lawyer can do 
by the time you get to after St. Patrick's Day. So I honestly thought, JB, the most important part of the season for Purdue, winning the Big Ten is nice. Winning the Big Ten tournament (laughs) is nice. But what you really have to do is ensure that you're good enough to play your first two rounds in Indianapolis where you have that home court advantage. Purdue has largely done that. Then you kind of get that Midwestern path. I think that helps as well. But everything else, man, is just gravy. And it's let's see what happens as of March 22nd, which would be a first-round game at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. That's where it really gets to be important for Matt Painter and his team. Greg Rakestraw is our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Rake heading south to Bloomington. I, Mike Woodson's press conferences, it seems that it's a matter of shooting uh, with every loss that comes by. That's what he mentioned. It's a matter of making shots. Is it shooting that has hampered the Hoosiers most, or is there a bigger problem that you see in the, in your eyes? Um, you, I, I would say it's a loft pro, a pro, a problem, and that is lack of talent, L-O-F-T. Um, it could be shooting. It could be general basketball skills. Uh, it could be poor roster construction. They're just not good. We can describe this how many ever different ways that you can. Um, and and if, if shooting is a problem, then recruit better. Re- recruit a different type of player or play, the, play guys that are your better shooters more often than you do now. Uh, it, it's, it's mind-blowing to me that we're having this same conversation over the course of the last two or three seasons because we, we frankly had this back to the Archie Miller era. And again, the fact that the margin for error on this, there, there's, there's less forgiveness in terms of you know, revamping a roster or rebuilding a roster because you can do it on a fly. If you don't like the guys you got, they'll play for somebody else. You can literally, and this is not a negative connotation, go out and buy better talent. You can do that now. And they haven't done it yet. So it, it, it's, it's shooting. It's everything. It's find a way to get a better, you know, compilation of players or better chemistry just be better there's literally zero excuse for this in Bloomington none I was going to piggyback off that and ask you did you expected some drop off obviously with the depart of sure. you know NBA players but can you think back to a time where IU maybe in the modern era looked like this because to me it's not a stretch to ask them to be a perennial tournament team it's IU no. we're talking about Absolutely not. No, and, and again, I, you're absolutely right. You lose players like Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood-Shafino, again, in every other era of college basketball, you go, hey, that's understandable. You're going you're gonna to take a step back or two this year. But again, this, this is now the Wild West. This is now, again, name me a program that, that has a bigger budget than Indiana University. Seriously. I mean, you can name maybe four or five because it's, it's, it's NIL, baby. It's, it's free agency. You can go out and find better players, or you can recruit better players that can help you immediately as freshmen. But you can patch holes quicker than you ever have in college basketball. And a program with all of those resources can't seem to figure that out. That's a problem, James. Greg Rakestraw, our guest. Butler takes on Villanova tonight at 6.30. Dogs try and sweep the Wildcats. Rake, I'm going to close this out and ask you about Indiana State, which I know is near and dear to JMV's heart, and I've had a chance to do a number of their games this year. But back-to-back losses after getting ranked for the first time since 1979. Freshmen got hot in that Illinois State game, then Southern Illinois. Seemingly everything went wrong from a shooting perspective. Any concern in Terre Haute for you right now? 
Yes, I mean, there's concern, but the, but there also is, um, I wouldn't say a sense of relief, but I think there's an acknowledgement, you know, because we were talking about, hey, this team could be an at-large qualifier. I, I think that is now out of the window. Um, and so these last four games or last two weeks of the regular season, you want to be the number one seed. You want to be your regular season league champ. But frankly, you now know what really you have known the entire time. It comes down to winning three games on three consecutive days in St. Louis as part of Arch Madness to stamp your ticket back to the NCAA tournament. So the next four games are almost kind of house money games. Simply you got to find a way for shots to go down, which they had the entirety of the season and really haven't over the course of the last two or three games because even their winning against Belmont, they kind of found a way to get it done even though the shots weren't falling. So right now I'm just trying to get, get kind of – get that jump shot back, get back to a good mental state because the next couple of weeks you want to get as many wins as possible. But simply put, you got to win Friday, Saturday, Sunday in St. Louis that second weekend in March to make sure you go to the NCAA tournament because that at large berth probably waved bye-bye with those back-to-back losses. Last one for me, Greg. Today it was announced that the college football playoff unanimously decided to approve a new 12-team playoff with the five you know, conference champs getting automatic bids plus the seven next highest ranking teams. Your thoughts on that, and do you think it's a correction or a tweak from last year's outrage with Florida State? Yeah, well, it was going to happen anyway. I mean, let's face it. You know, that was you know this has been talked about for the last two years. It was going to take place. So um, I don't think it's an overcorrection. I remember I've I've spent most of my professional life in D two D three NAI athletics where. We've had anything from a 16 to a 32-team playoff, um, and it hasn't ruined college football. It's part of it. I think what it is, it's, it's, it's sooner rather than later, and you saw it by the amount of opt-outs and transfers and struggling to fill rosters. I think it's the death to the bowl season, more or less. Some of these games will be called as bowl games that are playoff games, but those are the ones that are going to be successful. The rest of them, I think, will you know, go the way of the dodo bird uh, you know, at some point in time. But, no, I I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I'm all for it. Uh, Let's get it on. But, but frankly, that's why I don't think there was as much outrage about Florida State not making it because we all knew this change was coming. Rake, last, last thing real quick. Is the All-Star game in the NBA fixable? No. No All-Star game's fixable. (laughs) They're all like this. (laughs) I mean, you know, baseball is the closest thing to it. Clearly, we have ditched it in the National Football League. Um you know, the, skills, the, the skill competitions in basketball are akin to the home run derby in baseball, where that's where it's really interesting and, and energetic. Um, but, no, this is with the, with the millions upon millions that are at stake for every player, I understand guys not wanting to get full bore or potentially hurt a competitor. I get that completely. So, no, it's not fixable. It was still a wonderful weekend in Indianapolis. Anybody that, you know, is aghast by how the game played out on Sunday night, you've not been paying attention for the last several years. That would be the entire national media, seemingly. Greg Rakestraw talking about anything and everything Indiana sports. Rake, we appreciate the time. Have a great call this week, my man. See you, fellas. Greg Rakestraw with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I think he was right in agreement with you, James. I mean... You're not going to make people who are very, very rich do anything they don't want to do. 
And I mean that from like an entire like societal perspective, which not a lot of us can understand. Exactly. So, I mean, I get the outrage from it because the common people are like, stop this. But it is what it is, man. We'll get back into the Michael Pittman franchise tag talk. That's at the top of the hour. Brad Spielberger from PFF will join us. And more college hoops on the way at five. Connor Onion, play-by-play voice for the Big Ten Network and the Big East as well. We'll take some time. I'm Brendan King with James Boyd and James Adams. JMV out today. We are taking you until six on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Two more minutes. They could be miles off course. That's impossible. They're on instruments. This is going to be a real sweat. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. James Boyd over there. I'm Brendan King. James Adams on the ones and twos in for JMV. So you asked Greg Rakestraw a question before the timeout, and pretty big news today. College football playoff, 12 teams. I thought the unique part of it was how it's going to be situated with the 5 plus 7, and we can get into that as we go. Short segment here before Brad Spielberger coming up top of the hour. We can talk about this later, too, and so can you. 317-239-1070. We'll have some time a little bit later for phone calls but yeah, James, I thought it was interesting because uh, I come from a Notre Dame family. My dad went there, um, so I'm not your Chicago suburbs Notre Dame automatic <laughs> fan like there are plenty of them. I actually have a reason <laughs> to root for Notre Dame. Anyways, it's interesting. If even I read this, if Notre Dame is the number one seed in the college football playoff, because of the way it's situated, one through four are the conference champions. Yep. So if Notre Dame is number one, they would automatically get slid to number five. Yeah. Which, is that enough for Notre Dame to go join the ACC? I don't know. But it did say a little bit later on, even if that happens, Notre Dame gets a home playoff game. So I guess measure it how you will. I'm sure you would love if you're Notre Dame. Who knows if they could even be a one seed in the future. I was future. just going to say, like, pure, pure you got to defeat it, you know? Pure, pure, pure hypothetical. But still, I mean, the way yeah. that recruiting works, I mean, who, who the hell knows? And plus, Saban's gone. I mean, that's the ultimate mystery, nah, right? So It definitely switched things up. But yeah, your thoughts, 12-team. Obviously, they were like Greg said, they were always going to expand the playoff. I think that obviously getting the conference champs in there makes sense to me. It's It's sort of like... In the NFL, if you win your division, you automatically yeah. get in. So I understand that. And I could understand last season the outrage for Florida State, even though I personally would not have voted for them to go in either after the injury. I'm, I'm sorry, but. I'm the same way. Look, millions of dollars are on the line. So whenever people are like. They literally explained what? why they did it, and yeah. people were still up at arms. Yeah, they're like, like what, do you wa- what more do you want other than they, Florida State well, They want it to be like fair but like elementary school fair. They said exactly why. And I'm like, this isn't elementary. This is definitely, you know, big money NFL stuff. So I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it. I do think that it's interesting, like you said, if Notre Dame kind of throws a, not a wrench in things, but like makes it even more unique if they're really, really good. Yeah. And they've always held on to being independent. And for, I mean, why join anybody? They never had a reason to, but now they might actually have a reason to if they do have like a one loss season or something like that. Well, the reasonings were always in their favor because the BCS, it didn't matter. Exactly. If, you, if you were the number one team, you're going, right? But now, I mean, Riley Leonard coming in, CJ Carr is their highest quarterback recruit ever. He's a freshman, probably going to redshirt. So they're at least built at quarterback for the future. Now, they did lose quite a bit skill position-wise. 
um, especially in the running back room. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, until somebody, and I realize they had a horrible ending to the year, but until somebody dethrones Georgia, I mean, I'm I'm not ready to skip past that, no? I agree, man. It's it's Georgia. <laughs> it's Georgia. But again, now that Saban's gone, I actually read with the new NCAA football game coming out, somebody was like, they should name it, they should do what they did with Madden and name it Saban, the game, which I'm sure a lot of people would hate because... I don't know if anybody ever had a reason to hate John Madden. I know a lot of people. <laughs> say, a lot of people hate Nick Saban. I don't. I don't think Sal's in the state of Georgia would go over too well. No, uh, or Louisiana. So. That is. I don't think so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Brett Spielberger gonna talk some more NFL. Three minutes from now, actually, make it two minutes from now. Uh oh, it is franchise tag season. Brad Spielberger talks that and more coming up next on the fan. The Ride with JMV. I am the cream, yeah. The cream of the crop. And there is no one that does it better. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jake Query sounded very happy on that promo. I think it's because you're here. He recorded that promo just as you arrived. I know. I showed up. His face lit up, and I say, "Go be great, brother." The sun was peeking through the windows (laughs) here at Radio One. I'm Brendan King. James Boyd is here, in for JMV. By the way, we don't have any windows in this room. Ah, we don't. So we don't. The sun was me. By the way, yeah. Got a a yellow hoodie on today. I'm feeling good. Yeah, you are. You are literally (laughs) the director of sunshine today. Uh, Brad Spielberger is taking some time with us on the Annie Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Brad, good to talk to you. Happy franchise tag season. Officially, as of 60 seconds ago, hey, we'll lead this off. We asked Greg Rakestraw this question a half hour ago. Michael Pittman Jr., destined for the franchise tag in Indianapolis. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a, a bit of a foregone conclusion. I, I do think they'll find a way to work out a multi-year deal before week one, but I think it'll take a tag to get us there. Uh, that's exactly what I said. You don't. He's going to come in and ask for $100 million. And, Brad, I want to just get your opinion on where do you see – Michael Pittman Jr. stacking up versus other quote-unquote number one receivers in the NFL. Like, what tier are, is he in? Where would you rank him as far as, you know, maybe top 15 receivers or whatever the case may be? Yeah, it's a fascinating question. He has a very unique profile. Um, you know, as a guy who, look, he has these size, you know, 6'4", 220 of an X receiver. But you look at his measurables from testing standpoint and then things like his average depth of target around seven, eight, nine yards in most seasons. Like, he is a, a very, very good possession receiver, as sure-handed as they come. I do think you saw this year more ability to make guys miss after the catch and, and pick up those extra yards. But I think because of some athletic limitations, maybe he's in that 1B category, not that 1A tier. But, yeah, still a you know top 25, top 30 wide receiver in the NFL. No question about it in my eyes. A guy that can be, you know, the focal point of an offense. And then you have your deep threat Alec Pierce, your underneath – Assassin and Josh Downs, you kind of can build around um, just a reliable, you know, 10 target, seven catch guy seemingly every week. Does his value increase for the Colts, that is, because of Anthony Richardson and having to keep playmakers around him, ideally? I think it does to a degree, right? I think he is like the perfect, you know, the quintessential safety blanket, safety valve for a young quarterback. But trying to come along in this league, he has a massive catch radius. I mentioned he rarely drops the football. Um, he's a guy that you can look to on, you know, third downs, down in the red zone. Another touchdown production hasn't really been there. But, you know, he, he has all the traits of a guy that you can rely on for some of those money downs and money situations. And 
But I think when you give a rookie contract quarterback that, it just helps with their development. It helps with their confidence. Um, just having that guy they know they can go to, even if he's covered, they can say, you know what, he's probably going to win this contested ball, this 50-50 opportunity. It'll skew more, you know, 70-30 in, in their favor. I think we've seen over the years that benefit a lot of young quarterbacks. Brad Spielberger from PFF is our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. My last thing on Pittman, Brad, is when his camp gets together and they're negotiating with Ballard and the Colts crew, does his camp and him himself, I guess, have any leverage just based on how he's been able to sustain that consistent level of play even as the Colts quarterback room has just been so crazy over his career? And so that's one of the, the big things that happens in a lot of these negotiations. Is I can't speak to this one specifically, but I can tell you uh, from anecdotes in the past, like you'll get a team will say, yeah, you know, but your guy only had 1,100 yards. And say, yeah, but, you know, for example, you know, in recent years, the Chicago Bears had a bunch of different, you know, receiver negotiations. Say, yeah, but we had the fewest passing yards in the entire NFL. So 1,100 yards here is really 1,500 elsewhere. Um, like stuff like that you do hear pop up in, in certain conversations. So, it is a battle. You don't want to just, like, adjust or inflate statistics, but it's real. I mean, the Colts passing game in, in 2022, um, by some advanced metrics, EPA per play, was the worst dropback passing game in the entire NFL. Um, and all, through all four of those years, with all the, you know, it, it's hard to build chemistry with a different quarterback every single year, seemingly, or multiple quarterbacks each year. Um, all of those little details that you can't build on and grow from, yeah, it's, it's going to limit your upside in your production. Um, so team might say it. If I'm the agent, you know, I'm almost spinning it as a positive and saying, yeah, there's untapped you know, you know, production here that it's your fault we haven't seen it yet, but we will um, you know, with Anthony now being the guy. So speaking of untapped production – one of the biggest keys to make all of this work is Anthony Richardson, and I am curious to hear your thoughts on what he could be because here in Indianapolis, he is very loved. Everyone thinks he's going to be the man, and I think he has the potential to be, but I know there are probably some Colts fans who are going to like you know get their pitchforks out for me when I say he's not C.J. Stroud. He's on that level yet. We don't know if he can be consistently good. So how do you see him maybe having to catch up a little bit more because he didn't play much during his rookie season. Yeah, I think he can be really, really good. Uh, I, I think you saw his sack avoidance going back to his college days. To me, was the most impressive aspect of his game insofar as I thought it would help him adjust to the NFL level, like limiting those negatives early on. We know he can make the positives. He has an absolute cannon for an arm. He's obviously a good athlete and can run and take off and, and make players miss or bowl players over. But I think that was the biggest thing for me is a, is a calm feet in the pocket, doesn't bail from clean pockets, trust his protection, but also knows when he should get out of there. And I think that's going to really help him uh, going forward. But like you said, you know, one year of starting in college and then obviously played, what, four or five games last year, it's going to take a little bit of time because he also was one of the younger prospects in that entire class. Um, not just a quarterback. So I'm with you. I think he could be really, really special. I totally love the draft pick when they made it. I still believe in in where he could go. Um, but yeah, it could be a bumpy second year, and you got to be patient. Let him work through things, see everything, you know, see different coverages or different blitz packages that he's never seen before. Um, and I'm confident that he will figure it out, settle in, um, and become a very good quarterback in this league. Hey, Brett. Now that about you know, a month and change has passed since the Colts season ended. Can you judge what kind of market 
yet that Gardner Minshew is going to have. It, does he have a shot to actually go be an automatic starter somewhere else, or where do you gauge on the Colts possibly being able to bring him back as kind of that safety net for Richardson if he continues to have injury problems? Yeah, the, the game of musical chairs, it's funny. We had kind of the year of the backup quarterback last year where so many guys played meaningful roles, um, and obviously some guys just made a couple spot starts here and there, and it seemed like every single week we had a half dozen like new faces and new names uh, in, in the starting lineup. So that said, I, I think the backup market will be stronger, and I think Gardner will get a nice pay bump for his season. But when I look around – it's, it's both the draft and free agency. So, you know, I think four quarterbacks probably go in the top 15 picks. That obviously fills four holes right there. Um, and then, you know, Kirk Cousins gets a starting job. Maybe Russell Wilson, once he gets cut, gets a starting job. I think Baker Mayfield goes back to Tampa Bay and starts for the Buccaneers. So, a long answer short, I think it looks more like a bridge opportunity at best. Hey, you come in for a month. We, we drafted, you know, J.J. McCarthy. We're the – I don't know, insert team name here. We're the Las Vegas Raiders. Bring in Gardner Minshew. You're our starter for a month. And then we're probably going to pass the keys to, you know, the fourth quarterback off the board. Um, I don't see, like, an unquestioned starter job. And I do think it's possible Shane Sykin says, look, we've had a great relationship for multiple teams now. I can cater an offense to your skill set. We work well together. We'll make you one of the highest-paid backups in the NFL. uh, But you will still – First and foremost, you know, be Anthony's mentor um, and, and, and a vocal leader in, in that QB room, and, and that'll kind of be where the real value comes from. Again, we're talking to Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. Brad, I want to know, how do you become a, in your Twitter bio, it says, a salary cap <laughs> analyst? And I feel like every time I have to do a salary cap story, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go to overthecap.com or I have to go to different websites and read a bunch of stuff and try to basically put myself through like a short course of it. But what piqued your interest in it to even, I guess, want to dive into it and learn more about it and have it down pat where now you can kind of know what not only a move means for a team on the field, what it means for them on the paper and the checkbook. Yeah, so I appreciate the overthecap.com shout-out. Uh, that is where everyone should go if they want to you know, get into contracts a little bit. And that is kind of the genesis of the story is I, I went to law school, uh, and the guy who runs overthecap.com, his name is Jason Fitzgerald. It, it's not a job. He has a full-time job doing something else. It's a pure passion project. Um, and he basically runs this site and, and is a very, very important resource for even people at teams are looking at the site um, reading different thoughts and anecdotes and quips that he has. So, you know, I, I knew I wanted to work in sports in some capacity, kind of have a, you know, econ finance background, go to law school. Um, and this is now a long story, but Tulane uh, is where I went, down in New Orleans. And they do this, this annual competition where it's a negotiation competition between uh, mock teams and mock agents. We get law schools from around the country, um, and then the judges are agents or football administration people, a.k.a. capologists at different teams, um, and Jason helps us run it. So I said, hey, Jason, can I be your apprentice? Uh, I would love to work in this space in some way, and then started doing that, You know, got, got in touch with PFF, and that's how now you have the, the free agent rankings at PFF and all those contract projections. Uh, that, that is my baby. Wow, that is really cool. See, this is why I asked those questions, because I'm like, how? Why? You know, so you, I, I guess you're good with numbers in law school because God knew that was not my path. But Brent, I'll let you take it away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that did you go? So I'm kind of stalking your Twitter too. Did you go to New Trier? I did go to New Trier, yeah. As in Chicago? 
Yes, that's right. I have some friends from New Cheer. That's I'm a South Sider, so I'm a, I'm a Lincoln Way East guy. If that rings a bell. Okay. Um, yeah, a, yeah. Anyway, so let's take it to Chicago, Brad, because. I feel like every day I see it's like a tug of war of keep Justin Fields, get rid of Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, not Caleb Williams. The fact that they brought Eberflus back, in what way would that be serviceable to Caleb Williams? That, Or better word, in what way would that be attractive to Caleb Williams after what Justin Fields just went through? Yeah, so it's a great question. Yes, there is a daily civil war. I, I advise staying away from Bears Twitter uh, <laughs> yeah. for the next you know, two months or so. Um, yeah, I, I think the thing, it's a fair question. Obviously, Iberflus has the Colts connections. I do think, I'll tell you this, that there was never a moment as bad as things got with this team overall where the locker room soured on Iberflus or the players thought he wasn't a good leader and a good defensive coach. I think the real attractive you know, thing that they did this offseason, however, was Hiring Shane Waldron from the Seattle Seahawks, who, you know, first, I think you saw did a good job helping resurrect the career of Geno Smith. But second, he also he works at a or, or volunteers or whatever it is um, at the quarterback collective, which is this, you know, training, you know, kind of incubator for up and coming high school, college and pro players. Cale uh, Williams is currently training at the quarterback collective right now. Uh, and so there's some, there's some ties there. So that's kind of what I think the Bears did is they say, hey, we're going to bring in a new offensive coaching staff, guys that you are loosely connected to and maybe can familiarize yourself with. Um, I think that's how you sell it. Because I hear you. I mean, uh, the 53-year-old defensive coordinator is probably not the desired landing spot for, for our young quarterback. So one that I have is how good is Marvin Harrison Jr.? Because I think that Colts fans want everything to be traded for him. <laughs> And I told them if the Colts did that, they would have Anthony Richardson, Jim Irsay, and maybe one practice. That was field a promo, left. and that was they it. made that a promo here yeah, for yeah, you. So. <laughs> so I'm just curious to know. You know, I don't think the Colts will have a shot at getting him, but how talented is he as a wide receiver prospect compared to top wide receiver prospects in years past? Because it sounds like he really is. You know, I guess one of one. Yeah, as you know, that is like the least Chris Ballard idea. Uh, in the I world, know, but. <laughs> But, uh, hey, I mean, we had uh, the Falcons, I want to say, went from 27 to 6 to get Julio uh, about a decade ago. So we have seen it, um, or, or at least something similar. So, yeah, I mean, I think Marvin is really special. I think he is one of the better wide receiver prospects we've seen in a very long time. Um, there's no weakness to his game. Like, he is a, a plus athlete. He is a one of the best hands catchers in the entire class. He has nuance to his, to his routes, to his, um, his late hands and late footwork, and Everything he does is so smooth and calm, and, and you just see it translating so easily. But I will say, sitting there at 15, obviously you could go corner, you could go defensive line, there's, there's other options at your disposal. There are so many really, really talented wide receivers in this class. So even not in the first round, too, maybe in the second round you get a guy. Um, as much as I love Marv, if I'm Indy, I definitely think receiver could be a spot to target, uh, but I don't know if I need to trade up from you know 15 to 4 <laughs> to make it happen. Brad, you mentioned Josh Downs a little bit earlier. I think you said underneath Assassin or something like that, and I, I love that. How, how much of a jump do you think he can take in year two? I think he'd be a really important piece. You know, I mentioned the underneath aspect. I also think you saw him, you know, stretch the field vertically from that slot alignment as well uh, and make some plays in traffic and, and do some different things that, you know, just continues to allay the concerns about his size. I think he can be, a, you know, a really important piece of an offense. I, I do think – he benefits from, you know, a lot of the 12 personnel and running the football. Uh, you know, many manufacturing some shot plays or 
creating some more space underneath for him to get the ball and make guys miss. But, you know, so like I'm saying, you you do manufacture some touches, but I also think he can separate and and get open himself um, and and do a lot in an offense. One other one I wanted to ask you about was Drake May. I know the hype going into college basketball, not college basketball, I'm sorry, college football season last year was, you know, Kayla Williams, Kayla Williams, Kayla Williams, but is that is there that big of a gap between Caleb and Drake? So I do like Drake a lot. I would say I, I think Caleb is, is the number one quarterback, and I think there's a bit of a gap. Like I, I just think he is so cerebral and, and so fluid, and, and just everything he does, again, kind of seems calm, and everyone falls in love with the out-of-structure stuff, but he also has a super quick release and, and just like elements to his game that I think will translate. But May's tools are special. I mean, he has an absolute rocket for an arm. Uh, he's a very good athlete. He does have a little bit too much like Josh Allen to him where he takes some dumb hits and, and, and kind of uh, can try to make some crazy plays. Um, he can drift a little bit in the pocket, and you'll see kind of maybe some throwing off his back foot when he doesn't need to and stuff like that. But um, in terms of, like, yeah, the traits and the, and the projection of, uh, hey, here's the guy's tools. He's got some Herbert to him, some Josh Allen to him, and I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, comp him to a bunch of top five quarterbacks. But – as a prospect, um, there are some plays on tape where you're just like, oh, my goodness. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a huge fan, uh, but I do think Caleb Williams is in that, you know, not a tier of his own, but I think he is the clear number one guy for me. And then because I like chaos, <laughs> Saquon Barkley, you know, do you anticipate him being franchise tag this year? I mean, it feels like we went through this entire saga last year. I remember reading the clips and watching the podcast he was on, and obviously John Taylor had his situation going on. But he was the only one, Taylor that is, to get rewarded with a long-term deal. So what do you think the future holds for Saquon Barkley, and, and is the future there in New York with the Giants? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you know the league is probably not stoked that Taylor drove the hardest bargain um, and got the deal done. And you know, credit to him, they got to do what you got to do. Uh, it's an impossible market to navigate right now. So I don't think they'll go a second tag. I think they will try to find a way to work out a deal and probably trust that their offer will probably be close to as strong as anybody else's. And more so, you know, look, I think Saquon really wants to be there. I think he wants to be a New York Giant. He's obviously a Penn State guy. I think he's from, like, Jersey or that area. So it's a very fascinating dynamic to where I think if all else was equal, if there are a bunch of offers in the same range – he might just choose to stay there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think I see a tag there. Uh, I think we see the make a competitive offer, and you know, maybe he does leave and goes elsewhere. But um, I think he, he'd like to stay if he could. Well, it's not my beat, so I'm rooting for K. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're in the radio studio, so of course you're. Brad Spielberger from PFF is with us on the Anymore Automotive Group hotline. Brad, heading out west, what in the world did the Denver Broncos do with Russell Wilson? Yeah, so it's going to be a post-June 1st release. And then, so here's the, the cap nerd stuff comes into the equation. But uh, essentially, you split out the dead money between this year and 2025. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be the biggest financial penalty we've ever seen um, in the NFL by more than double. Basically, Matt Ryan set a record with a $40 million dead cap hit when he got traded to the Colts. Um, and you're going to see 85 for Russell Wilson, barring you know some sort of reworking of a contract or figuring something out. Um, and then I think what happens is a couple teams will try to convince him to sign um, and say, look, there's offset language in the guarantees for your old contract. He's owed $39 million fully guaranteed for 2024 by Denver. 
Anything he earns elsewhere would be offset against that. So I actually think he might become attractive if a team can convince him, look, we'll give you five mil just for optics and just, you know, so we're not going to give you a minimum, but we'll give you like five mil way below your market value because we're not paying you 40. No one's paying you 40. Um, And I think that it, it makes it kind of fascinating what happened there. But anyway, I think Denver has no choice but to move on, um, even as bad as, it, as it's going to look financially. You know what? I should have asked him. He was here for the All-Star weekend in Indianapolis. Russell I, Wilson? Yes, he was here with his son. And I was walk, I walked past him in the hallway of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. How does it feel to be rich? Uh, <laughs> That's the question. No, nah, the question yeah. I wanted to ask him was, like, where are you playing next year? Yeah. <laughs> Give you know, source directly it's to like me. like Scrooge McDuck swimming in the gold coins. Yeah, yeah that way I can like tweet out, you know, sources say it's Russell Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, I, I mean, uh, the last thing I'll ask is uh, – when it comes to some of the things that uh, have shaped, I guess, the landscape of the league, how do you think teams can build championship contenders going forward when you have to pay your quarterback so much money? Obviously, if it looks every year now like Patrick Mahomes' deal is the best in the league because he got his money early, but is it is it possible to knock off that guy while still paying your guy a ton of money? Because it feels like if you don't get it in that window, I mean, the Cincinnati got to one Super Bowl – but then they weren't able to, like, get it done. Yeah, you know, look, it, it makes every other decision tougher. So, so I never will say, like, it's not, it's not possible. It is possible. But I think what, what you've seen from Kansas City, as crazy as this sounds, but, you know, you trade Tyreek Hill, who I will still say is maybe the best receiver in the NFL. But those two first-round picks turn into, you know, you get Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis in that, in that draft class. McDuffie specifically kind of was the guy that was taken with the Miami pick. And flash forward, he's an all-pro corner and made you know play after play in that Super Bowl. Um, I think he allowed three catches on not, on seven targets or something like that. He, he was sensational. So, um, like it's, it's making those tough decisions sometimes to where it's interesting. Legarius Sneed again, one of the best corners in football. But we had a couple of years ago, Charvarius Ward was kind of this you know really good young up-and-coming guy in Kansas City. They let him walk. They they make that tough decision and just draft well. That's kind of the key. I mean, the real secret. It's not a secret, but you got to draft well, which is obviously easier said than done. Um, you want to draft for volume. I think Chris Ballard, process-wise, knows exactly what you should be trying to accomplish. Um, you know, it's a matter of getting some good results. But, yeah, that's the biggest thing is you, just, you can't pay everyone. you, you, you got to make some tough calls uh, because, yeah, it gets harder to, to kind of build out around that, that, that quarterback contract. But it's not impossible. It can be done. Brad, appreciate the time today. Thanks for stopping by, my man. Yeah, thank you guys. Brad Spielberger, PFF, with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You actually saw Russ? I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm not joking. He cool. actually came to the game. Great question. Who was who the most famous person you think you saw? It probably the closest person was Shaq. I got a chance to actually talk to him. Oh, yeah? It, yeah they had after he thing. got dunked on? Um, no, it's not after he got dunked. It was before like, all the festivities kind of kicked off. They invited us to come talk to the TNT guys, and I remember thinking, Shaq is huge. Like, very big in person. And another cool moment that I had, I was in the elevator holding like a plate of nachos and Dr. J got on the elevator. That's awesome. Got onto the floor and I remember thinking, whatever you do, don't get nachos on Dr. J or you'll get kicked out of this place. So You're going to get swatted. I know. At the, at that point. <laughs> That's James Boyd. <laughs> I'm Brendan King. James Adams is here as well. Listen, our guy Evan from Cluster Truck is here. You want to do this after the break, James? Uh, do it right now. Evan. So here's the thing. We didn't know, John, we're just filling in for John. This is awesome. You brought stuff. We appreciate you coming in, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Hey, I love everybody on 1070. I've been a fan for a long time. 
since before Kevin and Query when you guys were helping out on that yep. show as well. So, yep. you know, I'm just happy to meet you guys. I I even get James Boyd's tweets to my phone. So sitting right Alert. next to him, this is Let's yeah, go. Got James the alerts, Boyd so bombs. He literally just got my Michael Pena Jr. tweet in. <laughs> yeah. Happy to feed you guys. Woj bomb, but James guys. Boyd bomb. <laughs> so I uh, talked to us uh, first time getting to meet you. I haven't talked a little about what you do. Yeah, so I'm the content marketing manager uh, at Cluster Truck. So any of those, you know, annoying emails that you get every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, straight from me, uh, social posts, any kind of content like that. Um, and I'm just happy to promote our chefs. They do great work and, uh, you know, just really proud of what we do over there. So what we got today? Yeah, so uh, producer James, I, this is straight from JMV. So if anything's messed up, you got to talk to him. But producer James, we got... Uh, plain chicken strips, cider ranch. Okay. James Boyd, I got you our mug original burger. It's a uh, smashed beef burger, sourced locally, uh, grass fed. There you go. And it's delicious. It does have cluster sus cluster sauce on it. I got that on cool the side for you. So you know it's not everybody's jam, but it's house made. I got it on the side for you. And then uh, buffalo chicken wrap, one of oh. our one of our top sellers. And then tater tots all around. Got to have the tater tots. There we go. Yes. We picked the best day to guest host. I'm going to say, look, JMV, I hope you feel better, brother. But look, if anytime food is coming and you ain't feeling right, just hit your boy up. Look, I was going to go to the store after this. That might not happen now. Oh, yeah. 424, you're going to get a nice meal in you. Get a nice meal in me. It'll be good. And just, you know. Chill for the rest of the day. Yeah. So th this guy's been feeding me for the past two or three Tuesdays. So. <laughs> yep, yep, really? Yep. Oh, yeah. He, he's come in, I think, the past, uh, what is it, so two weeks? So that's why he yeah. didn't tell us about yeah. this. Oh, he yeah. didn't want to get the word out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Past two all, Tuesdays. All for me. All I'm, for me. I'm here every Tuesday. I've never heard about this. <laughs> it is the uh, the highlight of my Tuesday, yeah. that's for sure. So I'm well, happy to be here. Tell you I what, appreciate you, it. You stick around. We'll see what we got in the break, and we'll come back. We'll talk a little Colts, talk a little Pacers. How about that? That's sounds right. spectacular. Evan from Cluster Truck is going to stay with us. We're going to see what's in the bag because it smells terrific, and we're going to come back after this. Connor Onion coming up at 5. He's going to talk some college basketball, play-by-play -play voice, Big Ten Network, as well as Fox Sports. He will talk some college hoops. We are taking you until 6. BK with James Boyd and James Adams and Evan from Cluster Truck. We'll come back with you next. The Ride with JMV. We have the Holy Hand Grenade. Yes, of course. The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. Right. One, two, five. Three, sir. Three. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. James Boyd, BK, James Adams, Evan from Cluster Truck. He is with us. DriveHubler.com studio. And James Boyd... The staples have been undone. You have you have ripped open the bag. Look, man, I was like, opportunity is in front of me. I'm going to seize the opportunity and uh see and you got took here. It. And yeah, you man, took it. I mean yeah, hey. I told you, JMV missed out. You know, JMV did miss out. Boy, we wish no, we wish John well. We wish John well. No, but I, well, I don't wish you well on Tuesday, <laughs> but I wish you well other day. <laughs> uh Evan from Cluster Truck is with us. Hey man, thanks again for stopping by. Uh we were just talking a little all star game. Uh, during the break, did, did you were you downtown for any of that stuff? Yeah, any yeah. promotional we, like cluster, just personal. Personal. Okay. Yeah, no, you enjoy it? Yeah, it was it was spectacular. We uh we went to T Pain on Friday, mm. um, and then we had what uh we when they opened up tickets to indie residents for the Duncan three point contest, uh we hopped on that, and so I got four tickets to that as well. Sat uh, as high as you can possibly sit in Lucas Oil. Uh, but still a spectacular experience. Now, what was the best 
live T-Pain song because I have not seen T-Pain, but I would love to see T-Pain. But I, I love T-Pain. Yeah. W- what was actually the song that translated over well live? Well, he's got pipes. They all. I know he can really yeah, sing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They all translate well. He. So I've seen him twice now. Thank you, Jay. Um, and he did the black and yellow G mix this time. Ooh. I thought that was very cool. Yeah, very, very cool. Do you perform bartender? Of course, yeah. Was it, was it good He's live? Got to, so good. Yeah, really? So okay, good. good. Yeah, Even absolutely. without the auto-tune? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, uh, this is on a tangent, but I would suggest uh, watching his, yeah. his uh, NPR Tiny Desk. Spectacular. So good. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I mean, he's like somebody I feel like brings back high school days, because there was a time yeah. when T-Pain was on every song, the and dude. it was always fire. Oh, when I'm on a boat drop for the Lonely Island. That was the greatest. Th- the music video of that was, I watched that every day in high school. Yeah, you should have had a top hat on. I mean, you know. The, yeah. yeah. The, the, they the they were showing. Well, actually, let's play this game. Uh, first concert ever and best concert. Oh, man. Um, my first concert ever, I think, was a Blake Shelton concert with, like, my first ever girlfriend. Not a country fan. Uh, so, not the best concert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't sound like the best time was had there. <laughs> it was good. It was okay. Um, oh man, best concert ever! Strictly because of the venue, we saw Lewis the Child mm. at uh, the Red Rocks in Colorado. Yes, that was spectacular. That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. James so, Floyd? fun fact: I've never been to a concert. Really? What? I have never been to a concert. My sister said we have to change that this summer. She's Absolutely. been to many. She's been to Beyonce, Usher. Well, we're giving you know, out concert tickets, right? Yeah. Coming yes, up, what time? Are. What uh, time? Uh, sometime in the five o'clock hour. Sometime in the five o'clock hour. So prep this. This is about an hour from now. 317-239-1070. To the guy that can spin a guitar like no other. Carlos Santana and... Counting Crows. Counting Crows. That's right. Santana Live would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That dude can play. First concert, best concert. First concert was Mayhem Festival. I can't remember what year it was, but it was back when I was in high school. That's some uh, headbanging stuff? Yeah, heavy metal. Yeah, okay. uh, and then the best concert, also a metal band. It's a French death metal band called Gojira that I really love. Uh, and I saw them in Orlando, and they were crazy. That's really headbanging stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's That that was the most, I guess, violent concert I've ever been to. <laughs> the uh, the entire floor was a mosh pit, so it was great. I'm so, I got more questions now. Uh, so, so, James, were you a part of this, oh, you yeah. know, fray? Oh, yes, absolutely. And this is back in- Is uh, there a warrant for your arrest? Oh, no, no, no. But, uh, this <laughs> you said is, it was the most violent. <laughs> this was, this, it was just, I, I was, this is back when I was really skinny, too. I had, you know- Oh, please. Hair, hair down, uh, midway down my back. I was maybe like 150 pounds, 145 pounds. And I was in the mosh pit getting destroyed by uh, guys twice my size. And it was a great time. I had a fantastic time. You might want to clip that. (laughs) (laughs) Bill's character. Did that that sound bad? (laughs) Uh, First concert. Actually, you know what? First concert ever was the Baja Men, who let the dogs out. Okay. I was no older than seven, but it was awesome. And they, they like move it like it was all like the Shrek songs. Yeah, I mean, if you're seven, you, know you hear that song. Oh, it was awesome. Yes, I went with my mom. It was great. And at best concert, actually, it was freezing cold out. But a few years ago, when the CFP was here, Twenty One Pilots were on the circle. They put on the oh, best wow. show in like 15 degree weather. That's did you go, cool. Did you go uh, to no. any of those? No, no, no. Who was it? Doja. Awesome. They had Doja Cat too. Oh wow! On the circle, and then they had one more, some country guy. 
I remember Damn. in college we had Post Malone come for free, and me and he being, didn't go. Me being the journalistic student, I was like covering a Illinois women's basketball game or something. Mm. So that I wouldn't be here stuff. today without that. That would Post Malone before but, he got big, right? Yeah, like he had congratulations. I remember blasting that when I graduated college and all that. So he was like just coming on. Yeah, and that's why it was free. They had some pretty good people come through for free, Illinois. I think they might have had T Pain once as well. I feel Again. like T Pain has been through every college campus. He he came to Butler and played in the uh, played in the uh, like the student orientation room, which I didn't even know you could have a concert. Well, I there. feel like if you don't like T Pain, there's like a character flaw or something like that. Like he's oh, I think so. He's a pretty likable guy. So you you went to T Pain? Did you go to the dunk contest? Dunk contest, three point contest, skill competition. Okay, so seeing did people boo Jalen Brown? Uh, yes. Y- yes. Did you boo that? <laughs> I I, yes, I was a part of that. I, you didn't like the glove? I just and jumping over Kai Sanat, who's all of three was sitting down. Yeah, and he was sitting, yeah, <laughs> he was sitting, sitting down. Chair. I, uh, yeah, it was tough. And I thought, uh, what Jacob uh, Jacob Toppin should have yes. should have made it to the mm-hmm. final oh, round surely. over Jalen Brown, but that's okay, I wish Obi you know? did it. Yeah, but they were pushing stars. Like it was oh, very I, I, clear. Absolutely. You know, the NBA can say whatever they want. I don't work for them. We all knew the agenda was we need a star in the final because some of the scores, I was like, wait a second, how is this a 46? And also, th- this is me getting into my older boomer, I guess, age. Why do we have like point digits on the end of these scores now? Like, what happened to just holding up a nine or a 10 or an eight or whatever? Now it's I like 47. I think half of them knew six. what they were doing, it, which that was the only thing I agreed on with Kenny Smith. Right. When he was blasting the judges, <laughs> even though he was mean to Darnell Hillman. Which that was a foul on Kenny Smith. I don't know if you watched any of the replay, but Ke- Kenny was absolutely off the rails. I've only heard uh, <clears throat> the poor comments he made afterwards. Oh, so, he! Yeah. I mean, if I'm Gary Payton, I'm PO'd. Look, I want to ask you, Evan, about what was your thoughts on Stephen Sabrina going oh, at it? Like, fire. that'd be the best. So event, right? good, so good. I wanted more rounds. I mean, yeah, I thought it was so good. That's what I said. Everyone was like, we got to get this over with. It's All-Star Weekend. This is boring. I'm like, man, I could watch that more than like watching them do the skills challenge. And also, can we make the bounce passes a little bit harder? Please? Like the goals for these passes. Oh, skills challenge might not exist anymore after this year. So This is true. Yeah. This is true. So, I mean, but. at least you had a good time. What would you think about watching basketball at Lucas Oil Stadium? Yeah. Well, like I said, we were way, way up. Um, and... Uh, but, it, I mean, it was solid. I thought it was a great venue. It got loud enough. Um, biggest complaint, you know. And I don't think it's this way with Colts games, but uh, not not loud enough speaker system up top, you gotcha. know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but it was great. I mean, we could – three-point contest especially. could see everything. Um, fantastic. Great experience. Hey, I know you got to get running, but before you go, how can folks hit you up if they're interested in ordering and anything else along yeah, those lines? Yeah, right on. Thank you. See, uh, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clustertruck.com. Uh, download our app. Follow us on social at Cluster Truck. Um, free delivery everywhere from Fountain Square all the way up through Carmel. Uh, 80 plus chef made meals. Uh, it's good stuff. So thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Dude, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for dropping off the food because we are going to dig into this for sure during the break. And we appreciate you coming out. Evan from Cluster Truck taking some time. I, listen, if John's not back next Tuesday, then me and, me and James are going to. Got you guys, yeah. Hold down the fort here. Uh, <laughs> we'll take a timeout. Coming up, 5 o'clock, Connor Onion, Big Ten Network, Fox Sports, talks some college hoops. Don't forget, in that 5 o'clock hour, tickets, Carlos Santana and Counting Crows. We'll give you the details on the other side about that. BK, Evan, James Boyd, James Adams, coming back next, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
The Ride with JMV. Thank you for your support. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It's a Tuesday that feels like a Thursday. We got free food. Vibes are good. Dogs are at Nova tonight. Ball State's in action. Music's good. Yeah, how's the burger, by the way? Burger's fire. Cluster truck. Dot com, go check it out. And I'm not saying this because I didn't know I was going to be part of a promo or anything like that. I had no clue. The food is good. Food's this, terrific. This mash burger and this sauce they have is banging. Like, I will, I just actually texted the link to myself <laughs> to like bookmark it for later because I'm always looking for different places to eat or some of my friends to go to and stuff like that. So the food is good. And it made my day better to talk about, you know, burgers in football and basketball. Life is uh, pretty great right now. So my thing about Cluster Truck is, I don't know, is it a place? Is it a truck? Do they, do you know this, James? Sorry, what'd you say? It, is it a physical restaurant? Is it a truck? Is it like I, a rent out of I think, restaurants? I think they have a physical location. Should have asked Evan that, but honestly, I don't, I don't think they have like a lobby. It might just be like a pickup okay, and delivery because type Because he place. said 80 chef made meals. And I so my, one of my buddies, Brad Parrish, we were rotting on the couch one Sunday. He goes, oh, I'm, I drive past this all the time. Yeah, they have like a drive-through. Looks okay. Like. He we so he, and he ordered cluster truck fried rice. I said, "What is that?" And it was ended up being gas. And then today, I mean, buffalo chicken wrap. Well, here it is. That's, Cl- cluster truck is ahead. a delivery only restaurant. Got okay, and they deliver anywhere from like here to Carmel, basically. That's I, Fountain Square to Carmel. I think you said right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. No, this is easily uh, eight point nine out of ten. Oh yeah, they is, have they have really this is solid great. food. This is great. They're, they're another bite of the burger. Mm-hmm. Their che- their cheesy bread is fantastic. What they I, get you? Uh, I had some chicken tenders. I haven't tried them yet, but they look really good. Plain, right? Uh, yes, but there is some ranch dipping some sauce, ranch. which I think is the uh, prime dipping sauce for chicken oh, tenders. Okay, just, so just Ev- to be honest, Evan. <laughs> here's here's why I love Evan. He just commented on the YouTube. He just left the studio. Probably is driving, but he's got the YouTube on. Quote, we're a delivery kitchen, no truck, but we've got a spot on Pennsylvania, one on 62nd in Broad Ripple, and one in Keystone. Evan's the man. I love Evan. Evan, didn't know I loved you before today, that, that, but I do. That's goat status. There you go. That's that goat is status. efficiency right there. I love it. All right, back to, James, what we were talking about the last couple guests. Michael Pittman eligible for the franchise tag. Franchise tag window has been open for the last 45 minutes, I know you tweeted something as per a story from Michael Pittman. You're in the belief that he's going to get the tag, as is Greg Rakestraw, as is Brad Spielberger. But I guess if everybody's in agreement that he's going to get the tag, let's say that happens whenever, this window, right? What's the next step after the tag is given? What do the Colts need to do right after that tag? What's the next step? I think at that point, you just have to get in contact with his agent and come to the table and immediately start trying to work towards a deal. You don't want this to become something that hangs over your head over the offseason and it becomes that inevitable cliche word, a distraction. So I think it'll be very interesting to ask Chris Ballard about this literally in like a week at the NFL Draft Combine. I'm sure he'll have lots of things to say. No, he won't. Um, he'll tell us that, uh, you know, you know, guys, I can't get into that, which is what he always says. But we're going to ask that question because as much as we want to talk about draft prospects, this season is a very pivotal offseason for them and it starts with Michael Pittman Jr. I think that he's domino number one. You know, when you talk about, okay, steps they have to take this season or this offseason, you can't skip this one. It's the biggest one, the most important one. And so, again, I don't expect this to be a very contentious 
you know, negotiation whenever the tag is applied. Again, it hasn't been applied just yet. But if and when it does, I don't expect this to be some sort of JT John Taylor saga, similar to last summer where John Taylor wasn't tagged, but there was like this back and forth so he could avoid it, basically, because the tag is just so much more valuable for that one year of payment for a wide receiver versus a running back in today's NFL. Well, how much of the JT stuff came down to him having a psycho agent? I do think that the tactic worked in a sense because I know everyone was kind of up in arms about it. We don't have to rehash all of it, but... I thought the guy was a psycho. I don't think that. I actually think that he was smart. Oh to no, some agent, degree. very smart. Yeah. I think an agent could be smart, but also a psycho. Yeah, I mean, but, guy was tweeting and like. But here's my it was thing, weird. though. And some of those, some of the back and forth between him and Jim Irsay, I don't know if either side would like go down that route again if this were to happen again. But I would say for JT, it was the perfect storm for Jonathan Taylor to get paid. You know. I have had this idea or this mindset that, I'll give you an example, they were expecting to be bad. And then they came out and they were two and two. And they were like, oh, wait a second. Anthony Richardson looks like he's pretty good. We're right in the thick of this, you know, AFC South race. Maybe we got a shot. So then they come to an agreement with JT. They extend him right before he makes a season debut. He makes a season debut. And in that game, Anthony Richardson goes down, out for, done for the season. If that injury happened a week before, in week four, before JT can come back, I don't mm-hmm. think they pay him. Because at that point, you're like, our right. season's done, it's over. And then JT got hurt again at the end of the season. So all that to say, it was smart for him, him and his agent to kind of see the writing on the wall and understand that, you know, there's a high probability that I might not play every game and I need to go get my money. And so um, it was crazy, chaotic, and honestly, Michael Pittman Jr., I know you're listening, or if you are listening, don't do this to me. I did not enjoy reading through the CBA last summer to learn all about the collective bargaining agreement and all the ins and outs, all the loopholes for franchise tags, not showing up, holding on, all those things. It was not fun. So Chris Ballard, Michael Pittman Jr., get I think it done. that's just the start for you, my friend, based on things you got to read. Oh, my goodness. It was miserable. I felt like I was back in school. Like You get into covering football. Well, you said you skipped a Post Malone concert to cover a game. So that's, I know, that's but, your life. You know, that's back when I was trying to get a job. That's true. I have one now. So that's I was true. like, you know, if you want to make it, you know, I want an easy job. I don't want a harder <laughs> job. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I like we talked about earlier, I don't think Pittman. I think he's a guy that wears his heart on his sleeve. He's not trying to hide anything. He literally told you he didn't necessarily want to play for the tag. Right. But he also said this is a path to a long-term yeah, deal. Yeah, exactly. So I made sure, sure that when I tweeted that out a few minutes ago to include that entire thing, that way it's not some chopped-off quote and everyone's like, oh, he doesn't want to be here. No, I think he wants to be here. He just wants to be compensated, which is fair. I will ask you this, though, Brandon. Do you think that even – in addition to possibly re-signing Michael Pittman Jr., extending him, whatever the case may be, where do you think wide receiver ranks in draft priorities? You know, is it number one? Do you go Mm. cornerback? Do you go edge? Well, just based off of what happened last year, I think corner has got to be your top priority because I realize— That makes sense. Tony Brown, I'm talking before suspension— yeah. Had a nice little comeback after he got just shredded at corner because he had those two big plays. Was the the Saints game? Yeah, the Saints game. But you know he had a nice little comeback, special teams wise. But when you're in a position where you got to play him, and then Blackman goes down, and then you're 
shifting and shuffling all over. I think corner's got to be your top priority. Where, you know, even a couple of years ago, listen, uh, all the stuff that happened with the betting scandal and getting rid of Gilmore and then the suspensions and then guys getting hurt. I'm as pro wide receiver as anybody, James. But to me, there is a desperate need of stopping people in the secondary. Desperate. Yeah, desperate. I agree. Now, and, and now the there's uncertainty about Julian Blackman. You mentioned earlier, Kenny Moore needs to resign. It, it's sort of like a bunch of puzzle pieces that are from all different boxes right now that are just jumbled in Chris Ballard's mind, where at least if you franchise Pittman, maybe there's potential. You know, who's the next A.J. Brown? Who's the next blockbuster deal to go? Because I know John has been calling for it for a long, long time. James, you can attest to this, how many times John has been calling for an A.J. Brown-type move here in town, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. So who's the next A.J. Brown, and can Chris Ballard pull that off? Is it Stephon know. Diggs? Like I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's like leaving Buffalo, giving some ominous vibes, and I don't think he would do it to come here to Indianapolis. But uh, and I will say a name that John has thrown out a couple of times, just in speculation, maybe Justin Jefferson, if he's not happy in Minnesota. I've heard something about that. <sighs> There's no way that the would Vikings, be shocking. Like, they, yeah. They're gonna, they're gonna just be, the debate or the negotiation rather will be, hey, here's a bunch of money, stay here, please, and he's gonna say yes. Because you just gave me a bunch of money. Like, th- I don't see how he leaves that franchise. I just don't see it because they're going to they're gonna make him the highest paid receiver ever. And as much as you want to win, all those things, it's a violent game. And if someone gives you the most money you've ever seen, and you're, it's your team, you've been there. Obviously, questions at quarterback is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, $125 million or whatever, the, $150 million, whatever it can be, it's hard to turn that down, man. Here's that, how I know. Go ahead. So that that, that might have just been wishful wishful thinking on John's part, just oh, trying yeah, to like will wishful. it into existence, really. It's the same thing oh, with Marvin Harrison Jr. I, I, I love that about John. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's the same thing with Marvin Harrison Jr. I get so many tweets yeah, I where it's loved like, your promo. Like, should. do you want nice things in Indianapolis? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and then honestly, I think Zaire Franklin said the same thing. There's going to be like literally 22 players, no extras because you can't afford those. One practice field. There will not be a facility at West 56th Street. You can forget that. And then you'll have like half a roof at Lucas Oil Stadium where you don't have to ask every week if it's closed or open. It'll be just permanently closed and opened because there's going to be half of a roof there. But in all seriousness, I do think that you're right on, Brandon, when it comes to wide receiver. It's a need, but cornerback to me is probably the biggest need, mainly because you, you neglected don't have it. one. Yeah, you neglected it last year because you probably thought you weren't going to be very good. Right. That's my right. opinion. Uh, last thing before we break, and we're going to get to Connor Onion talk some college basketball. Uh, here's how I know Vegas knows all. So I thought, and probably everybody else did too, do you know what Justin Jefferson's preseason touchdown over-under was? I do not know. But it, probably it was, was seven and a half. So you're thinking, to win this bet in 18 games, I need Justin Jefferson to score eight touchdowns. Vegas somehow knew that this guy was going to get hurt, get hurt again, and also stink. That's how you know you don't mess with Vegas. See, I would have lost my money. I lost a lot of money. See, <laughs> and, and, to, and listen to me, a lot of that's, well, that's well, you me over exaggerating. One like guaranteed bet is when you know a coach gets fired. Yeah, Slam that's the money well, line. No, Slam that's the over. that's literally the truth. If a coach gets fired, you bet the money line of the team that fires the coach. Ohio State money line all day in that Purdue game, and the next guy that gets fired. 
You bet your rear end I'm betting that too. Connor Onion talking some college basketball after this on The Fan. The Ride with JMV. We're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? It should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. And for JMV, BK, James Adams, and James Boyd. Making his 107.5 The Fan debut. This is good. This is a good one. I think you guys are going to like this one. He is the pride of Ball State. He is a play-by-play voice for the Big Ten Network, Fox Sports, college basketball coverage. He is a Cub fan, a Bud man, former Midwest leaguer, Kane County Cougars, my guy, Connor Onion, play-by-play voice for the Big Ten Network and Fox Sports, covering all things college hoops. My man, thanks for taking some time. What's up, Connor? BK, good to be on with you, James. Uh, appreciate you keeping me connected to the Colts while I'm here in Chicago. There we go. Uh, always enjoy always enjoy listening and, uh, and and reading the work that you guys are doing. Love it, man. Connor Onion, our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, man, you work in a league that has a whole lot of parity, even at the top with Ohio State firing Chris Holtman. Surprise move to many, but the Buckeyes coming out playing some great basketball against the Boilers, earning that upset win. Just your thoughts, Connor, first of all, on just how the Big Ten has transpired this year. I think many expected to see Purdue at the top, but what do you think about that heart of it as it sits right now in the last days of February? Yeah, the the title race is back on. That's what, what Sunday signified to me. You know, I kind of thought that uh, with the two-game lead in the Big Ten, Purdue – um, not not that they would run away with it. They still have that game in early March against Illinois that now is even bigger. Um, but but that's kind of what that signified to me is that this is not only a race, but it's a two-team race. And then everybody else in that crowded middle that you mentioned is kind of fighting for, for a double bye, which the top four teams get in the Big Ten when the tournament goes to Minneapolis. So um, it's 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 going to be really, really fun March March 5th when, when Purdue and Illinois play, but uh, there, there's a lot to talk about the Big Ten outside of just those top two as well. Speaking of, obviously, the biggest player on Purdue's team, what do you think of his like draft prospects? It seems like every few weeks when I see a mock draft, Zach Eadie's actually getting a lot more love than he did last year at this time and earlier in the season. And as someone who's probably seen his career over the last few years, how has he – I know the loss to Ohio State, all those things, but how has he gotten better even after winning a National Player of the Year last year? You know, the the concern and what got talked about a lot is is the foot speed and, you know, what can he be defensively in the NBA and, you know, how much range does he have as far as his jump shot too. Uh, you know, he's he's extended the range on that hook shot. Uh, you know, he's he's almost out to the free throw line at times now when he's, he's hitting his hook shot inside the lane. Um, but, you know, we, we saw him get in the stance in that Ohio State game and, and check a couple of the little guys. Um, you know, that's not to say that, that he's going to guard a one or a two and some of the small guys in the NBA. But um, I, I think a team will draft him, commit to him, develop him even more than Matt Painter and Purdue have now. Mm. And, and I think he's going to stick as, as a pro for a while. Um, you know, he's, he's not one of these big guys that just plays basketball because he's big. Um, he, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing if he didn't actually like playing the game. And, um, you know, I, I was I was just curious because I've, I've had the conversation we're having right now a couple of times throughout the year just to, 
to go back and watch some early Purdue Zach Eady. And um, I, I don't think it's really close as far as the conditioning and the skill. Um, he, he's, he's put in the work, and I think he will at the NBA to stick around for a while. Connor Onion, our guest on the Anymore Automotive Group hotline, talking Big Ten basketball. So get to some Butler a little bit later. Connor, staying on Purdue, and of course the conversation around here the last three years now is Purdue losing to a double-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. And I think many around here have kind of accepted that, okay, we know you're going to have a great regular season. We know you're built to win, but you got to show us in the month of March that you're capable of overcoming that hurdle. What's, what tells you that this Purdue team is different and can do so and will not get upset again in March? I think it's the shooting. Um, you know, last year they, they, they didn't shoot the ball like they are now. Uh, they're, they're fourth in the country and shooting the ball from outside. And, you know, we've, we've had the, at, at BTN and some of the games I've done, we've had the Purdue versus UConn debate. And, um, BK, I know you're, you're a big East guy going to Butler and all that. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of noise from some of my big East friends that, you know, UConn clearly after Sunday <laughs> is the best team in the country. Right. Um, which at, at this point I agree, uh, they, they look like it. Um, but I don't think it's as far off as people are saying it is just because of one loss to Ohio state for Purdue. Um, but, but the three point shooting is different than last year. Um, Lance Jones is a different piece than they had last year. He's, he's very similar to the FDU guards. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a higher level guard than the guys that they lost to in the first round last year. But he's different. The shooting's different. Um, what, what's interesting in that potential matchup of Purdue versus UConn is not the speed of the guards that got Purdue beat last year, but the size of the guards if they do see UConn. Tristan Newton and Steph Castle, is, as you guys know, are are just massive guards, the UConn guards. Um, so I think it's it was speed last year that got them beat. Now can they handle the size if they do see UConn in the NCAA tournament? Ooh, if they see UConn, they got to get through a few rounds. And, and my thing is just, for the love of all things holy, just just don't have that happen again, please. <laughs> just don't have that happen again. I mean, that's what makes March, I guess, exciting. But to pivot to the team down in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm curious to know, Connor, where does Indiana go from here? What do they do to, you know, revamp a program that is clearly not at a level that is expected of someone with their history? Yeah, it, it was, you know, I, I, I watch their games with an unbiased eye, of course, and watching them on Sunday, um, it, it was it was really frustrating. Um, and Cleo Ware said it after the game, we lacked energy. And I think that was the, the obvious statement of, of the post-game media availability for Indiana, uh, they, they just looked flat against Northwestern. Uh, nobody pursuing loose balls early in that game. Um, you know, Matthew Nicholson, the big man for Northwestern, had more offensive rebounds himself than Indiana had as a team. Mm. Um, so, and, and they, they were coming, Indiana was coming off an eight-day break. So it was, I don't know, just kind of like a, a sleepy Sunday watching that game at assembly hall the other day um, is as far as where they go from here. I, I wish I had a good answer because it, it's very obvious that Mike Woodson can bring in talent and can retain talent. He retained trace Jackson Davis when he got the job. Um, he brought in Jalen hood, Shafino, who's with the Lakers now. 
Um, e- even this team now, Malik Renew, Khalil Ware, Mackenzie Mbako, like they, they have guys. Uh, it's, it's really confusing to me. It's been a, a college basketball season of, of me trying to figure that out, and I'm sure they're trying to figure it out down there in Bloomington too, why they aren't better. Oh, they are. They, they remind us every day when they call <laughs> in or they tweet us. Like I would not want to be Mike Woodson or even anybody tied to the program right now because if you wear anything with Indiana on it, there's going to be some pushback for it. So it's one of those things where I'm just fascinated to see how they – pivot or, or, or regain some steam, Brandon, because that's that's the program here. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Connor Onion, our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You can follow Connor on Twitter, at Connor Onion. Keep up with all things Big Ten Network and the Big East as well. My thing on IU, Connor, is in what you just described, it's more so, even though they quote it all the time as just shooting issues, that stat on offensive rebounds is nuts. Is that a type of stat or storyline which tells you that at least this year it, it's almost a too far gone feeling that the effort just isn't there? Yeah, um, I, I think that's fair. That's the way it feels to me. Uh, I mean, they're they're out of the NCAA tournament picture, and um, you know, I, I I don't know what the motivation is other than pride at this point is to to get it going. And, and I would hope there would be some pride because of what you guys mentioned. Uh, when, when you play at Indiana, there should be pride. And that's what was confusing to me about some of the things we've seen throughout the season that looked like Sunday. When they got back into that game on Sunday, you know, the last four or five minutes where they made it a one or a two-point game, whatever it was late, um, that, that was what they needed 40 minutes of, and we just didn't see it. Um, and, and Northwestern, you know, give, give Chris Collins – their coach, a lot of credit. They lost Ty Berry, one of their best shooters. They had foul trouble in the first half, and they're playing Blake Smith and Justin Mullins, who a lot of Big Ten fans have probably never heard of, um, and, and built a lead in that game. So uh, I, I don't know if it's too far gone as far as the pride and the effort, but you know the, the postseason and, and where I expected this Indiana team to go, I, I think it is too far gone at this point. So, Connor, two days ago, I was sitting in an NBA All-Star media session. LeBron James was talking about the scoring explosions in the NBA. And he mentioned, oh, you know, when guys in the zone, you can't really stop them. Kind of like Caitlin Clark the other night when she broke the record. You know, she had 49 and 13. And, you know, we have the NBA all-time leading scorer shouting out the NCAA women's all-time leading scorer. That's a pretty big deal. So I'm just curious to know what what has it been like to – sort of be on this journey with her and to see her go from, you know, I remember talking to Caitlin Clark, seriously, at the Big Ten Media Days at Lucas Oil Stadium when she was a freshman, and the big deal back then was Paige Beckers, and now Caitlin can't walk anywhere <laughs> without having people around her, and she's a superstar. So what has it been like seeing her rise? You, you guys know how it is following the NBA. Like, there's, there, there's really a pre-Steph era and there's a post-Steph era. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to see in college basketball on the women's side. You know, there, there, there was the UConn storyline in women's basketball of, you know, the, all those undefeated teams and are they finally going to get beat? And, you know, there, there have been so many good players on the women's side throughout the years that, that I've liked watching. But I really think this is go- going to kind of be a line of demarcation of this change the women's game forever. Um, and some of that is actually influenced by Steph. Caitlin Clark has talked about that. 
Um, and of course he hit a 40 footer to, to break the record to kind of put a stamp on that. But it, it's, it, it's, it's really cool to see the, the conversation ramp up. Obviously it's been good for the conference that I cover in the big 10. Um, but, but there are legitimate rivalries that have come out of this from things we've heard from Don Staley, from things we've heard from, um, Angel Reese at LSU. Of course, they matched up in the championship game last year. Uh, there, there's there's some legitimate tension, even if everybody was celebrating Caitlin the other night. Um, and I think it's going to make the women's tournament in the NCAA's as as fun as as any year that I can remember uh, following it all the way through. So, what are your thoughts on the Michigan team writing letters of appreciation for Caitlin before they played her? And then losing to her, and I guess giving it to them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I guess it was it was kind of inevitable that that she was going to get to eight points the other night, right? She she had only been held under ten points, I think, once in her career. Um, so I, I think they knew it it was coming. She knew it was coming. Uh, I I didn't really look at that as anything other than classy, kind of a nice touch. Um, now now if if I were playing, I don't, I don't know if I would have done that. Maybe that's what I'm getting at. All right, after. all right. <laughs> Maybe I would have waited until until after it actually happened. Right, um, I'll give it to you before, but forty nine and thirteen, I don't want to see you. I don't want to give that to you. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Maybe send it. Maybe go the snail mail route. Send it in the mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, in, into the season. You know, there you go. The carrier yeah. pigeon almost. Uh, Connor Onion is our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Connor, my last thing on the Big Ten before I ask you about some Butler Bulldog basketball is in the Big Ten standings, and back to men's here, is there a team that's just hanging around that not a lot of people are talking about? Whether that's, I realize Northwestern is third, but they're playing injured. They get a huge win in IU. Iowa obviously upsets Wisconsin in that huge overtime game. Minnesota has been a lot better as of late. Nebraska can shoot the lights out. Maybe one of them or another on your mind of a team that's just hanging there that is just ready to strike. It was Rutgers. And if they had won that Minnesota Sunday night, it would still be Rutgers. But it is no longer Rutgers, unfortunately. Um, they they got uh, one of their – what's turned into really their best guard, Jeremiah Williams, back. He was involved in the uh, – gambling scandal at Iowa State mm. and was not cleared to play until five games ago. And as soon as he got back, they won four in a row. Uh, Mike DeCourcy, who is uh, at Big Ten Network, he's our uh, go-to for everything bracketology. After Rutgers won those four games in a row, he actually moved Rutgers up to uh, the last or the, the next four teams out, which means that they were right in the bubble. They were a couple of wins away from – challenging your Butler Bulldogs, BK, on the bubble and potentially pushing them. But uh, losing the other night, I, I think, uh, definitely dampens that chance that they're going to get to that conversation. But Nebraska and Northwestern, they're the, they're the two teams on the inside of the bubble that I think are going to make it. I think the Big Ten is going to get six teams in. Um, but it's going to take a real push for Minnesota and Iowa uh, to get back into that conversation. They're they're a little bit far off the bubble right now for me to feel like they're within striking distance to get in. Connor Onions with us. Connor, big one for the dogs tonight at Villanova, 6.30 tip. You're, so you've gotten to do some pretty big Butler games this season, including the game at home against UConn, which I know is a loss. But you've gotten to see Butler sort of 
at some highs and some lows and getting to talk with Thad Mata. Just your impression on what he's been able to do in such a short amount of time, almost free agency mode, putting this year's team together. Real quick, VK, were you at the home game against Villanova? Uh, I was at the UConn game that you were calling. Okay, gotcha. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know if you were there because I was not. That was that was one of the games of the year. Yeah, um, so I'm looking. Watched looking it, but the wasn't rematch. there. Um, looking forward to that rematch tonight. But but yeah, um, you know, Thad has done done a terrific job there, and um, you guys know being there in Indy, just extremely positive. Um, I, I had a chance to cover one of his former assistants for a game I was doing for ESPN a couple of weeks ago. John Gross at Akron, and. I, since I had just spent a decent amount of time around Butler doing the Creighton game and doing the UConn game, we talked that a little bit. And and John Gross at Akron reminds me a lot of how Thad Mata runs his shoot around, runs his practice. And I asked John Gross, when you guys were coaching together, you and Thad, was there kind of a, a good cop, bad cop because of how positive that is? And he really described it as, no, it was just good cop, good cop. Um, which I was impressed that that could work. Because usually here one one assistant kind of has to step up and be the mean guy if the head coach pos- is positive. But um, that, that's what's really struck me. And, and going back to that, that first game against Villanova that I know you said you guys were watching, um, you know, Fox went inside the huddle uh, and, and Thad Mata gave the great speech of winning thoughts, guys. Winning thoughts. That's all we can have right now. We are going to win this game. And, you know, it, it sounds good now in hindsight. They won that game. That helps their bubble chances. But that's really what it's been like being around him a little bit this season is uh, you feel that in a conversation, even as a person he's not coaching, which is uh, really, really neat to, to witness. Kind of going back to IU for a quick second, and this is a reference to the NBA as well. But Khalil Ware looking like he could potentially be a first-round pick in the draft, what do you think of his game now and perhaps what entices people about what it can do or what he can do at the next level? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's, that is that is what is intriguing about being around Mike Woodson is, you know, he, he clearly can identify the talent as we were talking about before. Um, and he can clearly develop that talent to an NBA level even sooner than, than I expected. You know, I thought Jalen Hood-Chafino last year was going to be, um, you know, maybe a two-year guy. I didn't necessarily expect him to be one and done at Indiana. Um, so I was I was curious with Cleo Ware if, if that was going to be the case as well. And, um, you know, I, I think some credit should be given to Mike Woodson for that. Um, do they need to play harder? Yes. Do they need to shoot free throws better? Yes. But that's not all on him. Um, but I, I do think, to your question, I do think he'll do well at the next level. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a matter of uh, getting these guys that are really, really good and are going to be NBA players to actually win games at the college level. And we haven't seen that at the level that it should be in Bloomington yet. Yeah, I just need him to play bad against my alma mater, Illinois. <laughs> so, because uh, I mean, as much as we talk about what's going on with Purdue, I think that Brad Underwood, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, he's kind of got a reputation for you got to get it done come March. Is that correct, mm-hmm. Connor? Or what are your assessment of this Illinois team and them sort of being all in on this year's team because of some of the, you know, grad transfers they've added and things like that? 
Yeah, um, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And they, you know, they won the regular season title a couple of years ago, shared it with, with Wisconsin. And um, Brad Underwood at that time said that, you know, he feels like winning the regular season title in the Big Ten is, is harder than anything in the sport. Um, but the, the fan base wants you to go to a Final Four. The fan base wants you to win a national championship, as uh, is, is nice as a Big Ten title is. But I, I really do think now that Terrence Shannon has been back for a longer stretch for Illinois, um, they are starting to look more like the team we saw against Missouri right around Christmas time, right before Terrence Shannon was suspended for six games. Uh, Because at that point, that was the happiest that I have ever seen Brad Underwood. Um, I'm not saying that he he didn't like his team last year, but I will say he is a lot happier coaching this group (laughs) that seems a lot closer together um, than when when I had a chance to visit with him a few times last year. But um, after maybe maybe before the game on Saturday, I'll get a better pulse on that. Um, I've, I've got their game against Iowa on Saturday, but everything that I've heard from, from Brad Underwood and um, seen from him up close is he really, really likes this group, and I think they can go deep in the tournament. Is that your next game, or you got one before then? Uh, I've got a game Thursday, uh, Sun Belt game of the week uh, Thursday for ESPN. And then uh, I'm in Champaign for Illinois, Iowa on Saturday. Let's go. So, all right. So you got to tell me the story. Is, did they, your rental car, <laughs> I, they gave you a purple Mustang? Camaro? That's right. That's right. I, I need the story uh, on the purple Mustang. So the Lincoln Airport. God love them. Lincoln, I, I love going to Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> um, but but it's not, say, flying into Newark or one of the New York airports to go to Rutgers. Um, very small. Uh, and they only had one rental car left. So... <laughs> They said, here you go. Here are the keys, Mr. Onion. And <laughs> I, I, I saw the label and I could see, uh, you know, like the brand of car that it was. But I didn't know it was going to be this, like, plum purple color. <laughs> that was going to be driving it around Lincoln, Nebraska all weekend. You're the but, mayor of Lincoln, was brother. the coolest man yeah. here. <laughs> it was like, it's, it's just me driving down Lincoln streets with a bunch of Honda Civics <laughs> and me in this purple car. <laughs> You got to rev that engine a little bit. Yeah, you got you got to show him who's boss. Uh, I I may have one or twice. Uh, I I love that. Uh, th- that's awesome. Where's the um? Where do you think the coolest stop has been for you this year? Has there been a place where you got a sign and you got to the gym and just had to stand for a few minutes to appreciate it? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. Um, hmm. I I should I probably should have thought about that a little bit harder before you asked it. Uh, I'm just I keeping you on your toes, brother. Doing doing the uh, the volleyball match at Nebraska. Yes, I forgot they you did that. the outdoor match. Yeah, that that is one that's going to be hard to top, no matter where the rest of this crazy thing takes me. Um, you know, that's that's the first time that I've really gotten kind of into the fishbowl of a sold out crowd and had to collect myself so I didn't get overly emotional just because, you know, Big Ten Network and, you know, this has, you know, less than 1% to do with me, but Big Ten Network has played such a role in growing volleyball um, and and prioritizing putting it on TV and the success of the athletes and the coaches and the conference in that sport. 
have helped put it on a stage that we saw that day. Um, and just the fact that I got to be a tiny, tiny piece of that uh, was emotional to me. And we're, we're two minutes from going on air and I kind of had to take a deep breath and uh, say, rain it in, buddy. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we, we gotta, we gotta make words here. Um, but as soon as we got rolling, it was, you know, it was kind of like an hour and a half volleyball party and um, just to see the sea of red and um, the post-game concert and the fireworks show that they put on, it was really, really cool. And it's going to be hard to top. Yeah. The video out of that was crazy. I'm so glad you got to experience that. Connor Onion, our guest on the Anymore Automotive Group hotline. Hey man, before we let you go, I texted you this to be prepared. So I obviously know you love the Cubs. You're a Cubs guy till you die. Me too. We've worked together before on baseball. Cubs, Cody Bellinger, does it happen? uh, Can we get Scott Boris on as a guest? Uh, Well, yeah, except he needs an entire crowd in front of him to do a press conference. I know. I'm I'm leaning toward yes. this is not a major scoop here. I don't think it's a major scoop here, but uh, the, the breakfast place down the street from where I live, I know that's a favorite of Cody Bellinger's. Hey. Um, I was I was sitting at a place called, uh, maybe I shouldn't give it away, because then Cubs fans are going to go knocking on the door. But uh, you can a text place me. that has, uh, I will, a place <laughs> that has really good uh, cinnamon rolls down the street from where I live. I was having breakfast there late last summer and uh, go to pay the bill. I turned to my left. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I, that guy looks familiar. Oh, it's Cody Bellinger. <laughs> um, so I know, I know he, he loves the food in the neighborhood. Um, I know he, he liked the success that he had, hitting over 300 and hitting a bunch of bombs last year. So the optimist in me says he's coming back. But that's, that's an unofficial scoop as far as I'm concerned. All right, so how about $200 million and lifetime cinnamon rolls from your place? I think <laughs> uh, sign the dotted line, right? I, I think so. Yeah. I, I'm sure Boris can get that in there. Yeah, no, you hit him up, and I will uh, I will gladly send a reminder. Connor Onion, the terrific play-by-play voice for Big Ten Network, ESPN, Fox Sports, and taking over the broadcasting world, taking some time on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. My man, let's do this again soon. Appreciate you, and hopefully see you soon. Me too, James. Thanks for having me. Enjoy it, guys. Connor Onion with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Again, he is doing some great things in broadcasting, and again, he's got some games coming up here soon, and including this weekend at your alma mater. How about that? Yeah, I haven't been back there for a game myself, honestly, so um, I usually don't even have time to really watch them, but they're pretty good this year, and, and, and honestly, I'm not joking when I, my timeline is full of either angry Indiana <laughs> yeah, fans right, right now or angry Illinois fans because they can't get over that hump in the, in the in the postseason. So it is what it is, man. I'm just glad I'm not in one of those jobs because as soon as something goes sideways in college basketball, the coach has got to go is what everyone says. Poetic in motion. All right, James Adams, we have something to do now, don't we? Coming up at 530. Oh, yes, we do. We do have, uh, I believe, tickets to give away. We do. Carlos Santana, which I think – Professionally, he's known as just Santana. Mm-hmm. And Counting Crows, where are they playing? Are they, at- they are at the Ruoff Music Center at on Sunday, June 23rd. Okay, so caller number nine. Caller number nine. 317-239-1070 is going to win tickets to go see Santana and Counting Crows. Now, after the break, I'm, the greatest Santana song I don't think is appreciated enough because it is a duet, but it is the best. 
and we will tell you what that is along with give those tickets away. Caller number nine right now, 317-239-1070 to go see Santana and Counting Crows after the break on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Attention whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. The f- Lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It's a good Santana song. Classic. You're Santana guy, James Wood? I'm not going to lie. I'm a very big hip-hop and rap guy. However, I am too. But I will say this. Good music like this always translates. I can always appreciate good music. Exactly. Now, the best, by the way, congratulations. Caller number nine was none other than Todd, which I will say, we're going to have to review the tape. <laughs> Don't do this. Todd Byer just walked in the studio, okay. and now Todd won tickets. So I don't know if he's trying to take him for himself or not. But and for those listening, Todd Meyer oversees, you know, a lot of things that go on that is here correct. at the fan. But I don't know. Do you like butt dial and just come in or I don't know. Well, <laughs> James Adams answered the phone. There's a real guy on the other side. Say if if that was Todd Meyer, then he has mastered the art of changing his voice. Was he voice. talking about Purdue? No, he was okay, not. Then. He was not. There you go. So he that, changed that his voice. That would have been a dead giveaway. He changed his voice to <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton does. Congratulations. Yeah. You know what? Save that for a second. Congratulations <laughs> to Todd, our caller number nine, heading to Santana and Counting Crows this summer at Ruoff. That should be fun. The Game of Love, by the way, is the best Santana song ever. Duet with Michelle Branch. It has the greatest Santana guitar solo that he's ever had. Look that up if you appreciate good music. Now, Tyrese Oliver and Changing Voices. I always thought he had two voices. He's got, He's got a... <laughs> Lighter tone voice, he's got a deeper voice. And it just happens. It just happens. It's been this way since he got here to Indiana. He doesn't do it on purpose because I know people are like, you don't know, because he talks like that when he's like sad, happy, mad, whatever. I see it. I I feel it always just fluctuates. Yeah. He's, you know, but you have to to remember, he is a leap year baby. Yeah, he's five years old, right? Six. On February Happy 29th. Happy birthday, Tyree. And so he's going through pu- he's going through puberty. He's growing. He's a sex? growing boy. Okay? <laughs> you went through puberty and no, sex? No, not puberty, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> That's a little early. I was thinking, Heads up. I, I was thinking to myself, like, nah, is this analogy Heads really? Up. It really isn't Where working you went very to preschool, well. I feel because, bad. Yeah, I was like, this isn't really going as well as I thought because yeah. he is only six. Say, so have you seen that photo of, like, the 13-year-old football youth football player who's got, like, yeah. tattoos and oh, the yeah. facial hair? Yeah. That was that was James, so, wasn't it? No, I will, no, I'll say this. I, I don't have any tattoos, but... When I was growing up playing AAU basketball, them dudes I played against, some of these teams were not, you know, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. Some of these dudes could drive oh, themselves Oh, yeah, what the was game. it, Bishop Sycamore? Oh, yeah. Rest fake high school? For everyone out there. Those were adults. If you, if you have HBO Max, watch that documentary because it is ridiculously crazy that they actually had, like, grown men playing in high school games. And also, yes. they were terrible. Awful. Like, James, imagine you going back to like high school and playing a sport and then getting beat by the high schoolers who are actually the legitimate yeah, You age. know that story, right? Uh, what was it? Bishop uh, Sycamore oh, High absolutely. School? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fake football team. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. They built a fake football team with grown men and they were still terrible. Trash. Like, oh my goodness. See, I would like to think that if you drop me in a freshman game right now, I could probably like hold my own, but to like lose every game is hilarious. See, this, is, this isn't nearly as bad as this, but I think I remember in middle school when I was on like the JV football team or whatever. We played some team, and their running back had been held back a couple of years and was, like, high school size and demol- like just destroyed us the entire game. Oh, he ran for, like, 200 yards, <laughs> just knocking over all these little it's seventh It's nothing graders. that a couple mosh pits at those concerts can't fix for oh, you. Oh, absolutely not. That, absolutely not. That's that was where, nothing. <laughs> that's where 
That's where you train. Some people train on the football field. James Adams, just a mosh pit at a, at a rock concert. Uh, that's all you need. All right, let's circle back on what we have had today. Talked with Greg Rakestraw, Brad Spielberger, and Connor Onion. That will be available 1075thefan.com on the podcast. In for JMV today, Brendan King, James Boyd, and James Adams. Again, James, the storyline of today, or at least one of them, other than college basketball, franchise tag window is open. That opened about an hour and a half ago. Of course, these things usually take time, but based on everything we have discussed today, I think the natural indication is that Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be franchise tagged, and he will play under that for the Indianapolis Colts. What does, actually, let me rephrase, what does an healthy trio of Richardson, Taylor, and Pittman look like in your eyes for next year? It looks like you could win the division. That's what it looks like to me. Even I, with C.J. Stroud? Yes. I think that, I mean, if I'll go on record saying this, I think that the loss of Julian Blackman for the season finale was huge. Oh, it killed him. You know, because they had the two touchdowns that C.J. threw, the one, you know. Including the first play of the game. Yeah, the one on the first play of the game and the one – like that was more intermediate back of the end zone. Both were like blown coverages, yeah, by safeties. And so Julian Blackman, being one of the smartest players on the team, had played almost every single snap before he got hurt. That was to me one of the biggest differences that kind of flew under the radar. So if you have him in that game, maybe we're having a different conversation. Maybe the Colts are division champs. Now, obviously, you can't go back and change everything, but I think if you give them a healthy core like that, with those, you know type of dynamic skill sets with the mind of Shane Steichen, I think you have a chance to, to do something pretty special in a division that is wide open. I know C.J. Stroud, to me, is the best quarterback in the division. I know, you know, got to sustain it, obviously. Trevor Lawrence took, might have took a step back last year, was hurt a lot. But they're not so good. Even though they won a playoff game to the point where I'm thinking they're just, oh, my gosh, they're the Chiefs. They're, you're never going to win the division. Or they're the Patriots. You're never going to win the division. Or – you know, they're always going to, like, just be top dog. No, you got a chance to be in this thing. And so, to me, the biggest thing, as you know, Brandon, and anyone knows listening, it's Anthony Richardson's health. Yeah. I know he posted that video recently of him throwing. Everyone was elated and ecstatic about it. I know he is probably the most ecstatic because it is his body, but it comes down to can this dude stay healthy because the flashes we saw give us, you know, a little bit of hope to, to think that, okay, he can probably be their, their franchise guy. But it's just the health factor. But give them all three healthy? Yeah, I think they got a shot to win the division. So uh, I'll step back on this first. So, James, I never played football. Oh, me I've, either. You I, see how skinny I am? Yeah. Never well, a chance. I, my mom did not let me play football. She let me play hockey, which well, doesn't really make sense. Well, my but, mom said our insurance wasn't that good. So, you yeah, never that's, been on the football that's another field. fair reason. <laughs> so, I never played. The schematics of football is something that I still have not mastered. I'm not a football coach. I'm not a football player. I don't work in football. I can only give my opinions on football. Me, as a football novice, saw that first play against Houston. I went out. Well, I shouldn't say I went out. I met my friends to go say hello before that game prior to when we went in the press box because they were out, and I went to go say hello. Hey, guys, how are you? I'll see you a little bit later. So we were talking about the game. I said, first play of the game, play action, C.J. Stroud downfield to Nico Collins touchdown. Now, I don't say that to pump my tires or anything. I'm telling you, as a football novice, that when you get an actual football coach, as good as D'Amico Ryans, to game plan and prepare and script that first drive, which was one play, um, 
I, I saw it coming from a mile away that the Colts' defensive backs were prone to give up that sort of big play, and it happened. Now, to your point on Richardson, it's still concerning to me, James, that he has not played a full NFL game. From start to finish, there has always either been a hiccup where he's come out or he has not finished it. It, it it's concerning. He finished the Rams game. Let's say he he did finish well, the Rams not, game. Not finish. I like play a full game. Yeah, yeah. He he played the full yeah. Rams game. Didn't he leave for the injury? No, All right, that's no. my bad then. Oh. He did. He did lose it. They lost. That, in that's overtime. my bad then. That's my bad then. That was either the way. Game. It it is concerning that. No, your right, point. Every other is. game, there has at least been some kind of issue. Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point, and I actually mentioned it to him as so I remember that game after the Rams game. I was like, hey, you finished the game healthy. And he kind of looked at me and kind of like, you know, joked it off or laughed it off. Like, yeah, you know, I'm glad to finish the game. Obviously frustrated that they they had lost in overtime. But looking back at that conversation, it's only grown louder since then. And then this is where I want to know, obviously the physical health of him, Anthony Richardson that is, matters. But I want to see where his mental is because I think he's still sort of in that honeymoon stage but now you're going to get into the we have expectations stage and everything is going to be riding on you and also your health. And so if you get dinged up or something, the conversations, the narrative is going to shift drastically from, oh, this guy has a lot of potential to, oh, this guy can't stay on the field. And so I just wonder how he deals with all that because in my mind, it, it still blows my mind that he's 21. Right. You know, he's 21. That's the best. He's got a lot, of, lot yeah. of time. You know, he's younger, I believe, than Caleb Williams. He's younger than Drake May. And so yeah. – in a way, you're happy about that if you're the Colts because he has you know this bright future ahead of him, but it comes down to can you stay on the field and be healthy? And then the one thing I'll push back on with Anthony is that he didn't play reckless. Like If you watched him play, the one reckless play that he made was when he pulled up right at the end of that run in Houston and he got clocked. Like you can't you know, ease off the right gas. before the end zone. You yeah. can't do that in the NFL. These guys close fast. And he Which, said that. That's your first game, right? He so. said that. He was like, you know, these guys are faster. I, this guy I was running away from in college. He's still there on my hip, you know, now. So you have to be mindful of that. But the tackle that he got hurt on was a routine, unlucky tackle. I remember watching Will Levis get helicopter tackled in Tennessee, hmm. and he popped right back up in points for a first down. I was thinking, Football is so cruel sometimes because this is unfair. Like, this guy just, you know, dove midair, got hit by EJ Speed and Kenny Moore, and just pops right back up. So all that to say, if his health is intact, they got a shot, but it comes down to, you know, whether or not he's the guy. And, and you can't say he's the guy until you find out about his health. There's a, And don't get me wrong. I thought Anthony Richardson was the right pick. Yeah. I did not want Will Levis here in any way, shape, or form. Now, if you could have gotten Stroud, you could have gotten Stroud. But Richardson was your guy. It was the right pick at the right time in yeah. the right period. And I love his talent level. I loved what I watched in the uh, select amount of training camp practices I watched. I love what I watched when he was on the field. But again, it's, and like you said, it's not reckless. But maybe he just needs better protection at the end of the day. Maybe that's another conversation. I do think that, so when I asked Shane Steichen this right after the season, and even at the end of this season, you know, someone else, someone else might have asked, there was this notion of does he need to change his play calling perhaps to protect him more? And he's like, no, nah, we don't have to change anything. Okay, that's fine. Like I will, you know, Matt Stafford got hurt a lot earlier in his career. He's look up, you know, 10 plus years later, he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I get all of that. But the style of play that Anthony Richardson has and the offense you run a run, you need his legs. 
But again, if he gets hurt again, that's the issue. That's when the conversations and the criticism becomes a lot louder. I think right now they're like, oh, you know, we'll just, you know, be cautious, but we can't change who he is. And you really can't because you drafted him to be, you know, a Lamar Jackson type, a Patrick Mahomes type, not to that degree, but like, you know, running type. I guess Josh Allen's a better comp. You need that from him. But again, He's got to be able to stay healthy. And, you know, just from a personal standpoint, he is a great young man. Like, he is as nice as they come. So if the football part meets the character part, they'll have their guy in him. Let me ask you this before we go to break. It's going to be a simple yes or no or quick explanation, whatever you want. Fourth and one, if Anthony Richardson's in the game, same personnel, Tyler Goodson, is that play completed? No, they run the play that Patrick Mahomes made in the Super Bowl. Simple as that? Naked bootleg and you just run for – Eight that tells me a lot. That tells me a lot. James Boyd, spectacular work today. We'll come back, put a bow on this one. I'm Brendan King. James Adams here as well. In for JMV. One last segment right after this on 93.5, The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Sis Boom Ba. Sis Boom Ba. <laughs> Describe the sound made when a sheep explodes. <laughs> 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. James, do you even know where these clips are from? Half of them that you play? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm just making Yeah, that sure. was Johnny Carson. Yeah, I understand. I'm just... I, I don't know who's in charge of clips. Well, I've made a bunch of them. There are a bunch of them that have been around for a while. But, uh, I mean, at least all the ones that I have made, I obviously know where they come Got from. Got them. But, well, because there's a lot of clips that have been around forever, I feel like. And then there, once in a while, there's one I was like, oh, that's new. You know? So yeah. you're doing a great job. But I, I just didn't know if John picks the clips and you do the clips... Nah, or if you pick the clips and who does the clips. And... I, I pretty much make all of those. Look at you. So you Johnny Carson guy? Oh, yeah. I love Johnny Carson. Man, the the you ever watch Johnny Carson? Old videos? I have not, actually. The funniest stuff is when Don Rickles went on Johnny Carson's show. Absolutely. Oh, my God. That guy would go on and roast everybody. It didn't mm. matter. who He would make fun of Frank Sinatra for being in the mob. Like, in was, front of Sinatra. He was, like, the only guy who could make fun of Sinatra to his face like that. Uh, yeah, and Sinatra wouldn't get mad. Sinatra yeah. would laugh at him. There's, I mean, there's, like, a, there's a bunch hey, of stories. Hey, Caprizo, you know, whatever, says hello. You know, like... Well, there's some, there yeah. was some story Rickles told about, uh, like, eating dinner with Sinatra in a ketchup bottle or something like that. I, I can't remember the, exactly, but... So, I know we're short on time. We're going to talk a little pacers, but the best Sinatra-Rickles story is Sinatra went on Carson and said, can, can I tell you a story about this guy? And he goes, this is well before Don got married. And I was eating dinner at, at this restaurant in New York. And Don comes up to me and goes, Frank, I'm sitting with this very pretty girl. And I'm trying to trying to get with her, right? And, and he says, could you come over to our table and say hello? And Frank goes, oh, yeah, I could do that. I was just down the espresso. I go over there. I go over. I say, hey, Don, how are you? And Rickles goes, can't you see I'm eating here, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the best Sinatra Rickles story ever. So great. Johnny Carson content on the clips. Uh, James Boyd, a couple minutes here. Your thoughts on the Pacers' second half and what could potentially be a playoff berth led by the trio of Siakam, Halliburton, and Turner. Throw Matherin in there as well. Yeah, obviously you heard some pretty decent news from Rick Carlisle earlier today about Aaron Neesmith. It looks like it might be an ankle instead of a shin injury or a leg injury, and we'll see where he's at. He's a huge piece of what they're trying to do. And I think that's probably where I'll start is just health. They need some health because they're 7-5 with Siakam, and a lot of it has to do with guys being in and out of the lineup, Halliburton not really being himself, 
And so if he can come out of this all-star break feeling good, they got to put their pedal to the metal and start, you know, winning at a higher rate to kind of distance themselves from that seventh seed playing where, you know, anything could happen and you're either out or you're in. And so um, they have the sixth seed right now. The win before the break against Toronto was huge to keep them in the sixth seed. And now you're trying to make that push to reach the playoffs the first time since 2020 and the first time in Halliburton's career. Yeah, 7-5 and five with Siakam. But in the middle of that, of course, Buddy Heal gets traded. McDermott yep. comes in. Siakam's been as consistent as anybody. Uh, McDermott had a great game right before the break. So who knows what he could be? Can he be Buddy Heald? I don't think so. But can he be a nice piece on a depth potential playoff team? Sure. But we'll see. But I like what Siakam has done, but it is just seeming like no lineup since Siakam has been traded over has just been able to stick together. No, and you need health for that. So my biggest thing is you have your pieces. You have who you want to be, you know, as far as your identity and all those things. And now you got to put up. And, and I, with Halliburton, he got a lot of praise this weekend about being, you know, yeah. one of one and all this talent. Dude, you got to win. Otherwise, that, that praise is going to turn to criticism really, really quick. The famous Ric Flair music. There it is. You said it was coming a minute out, and it came a minute out. Hey, thank you so much to Greg Rakestraw, Brad Spielberger, and Connor Onion. Those interviews available at 1075thefan.com. James Boyd. Hey, this was fun, man. Yeah, little, appreciate little impromptu, but enjoyed hanging with you, brother. It just made me get up and put some clothes on, so life is good. Hey, made a little cash, got a little free cluster truck. There you Thanks go. to Evan from Cluster Truck. Yes. That guy's burger. legendary. Yeah, that's his fire. So I... Hopefully, John will be back soon. We wish John the best in his sickness. <laughs> Do and, <I>? John, <laughs> next time there's Cluster Truck, warn us, because we will surely be back for some more. <laughs> Thanks for hanging with us.